Hello there, and welcome to the Valley Strange Podcast. This is Ray, coming at you here since we don't have an intro this time around. The episode you're about to hear was originally supposed to be included in the part one of Gods of Eden, but if you know us by now, that wasn't going to happen, and I promise you, we are working on getting better. Before I send you off into the wild world of Gods of Eden, I want to ask a quick favor from you, our most appreciated and dedicated listener. And if you're new to Valley Strange, welcome. Could you please follow or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a five-star review if your platform allows for such things. And if you have an extra second or two to spare, could you subscribe to our YouTube channel? We are planning for more content that requires video. Exciting, I know. And hit the notifications button to find out when our videos are posted. One more, I promise. Check out our link tree in the description below to support us even further. We have merchandise and a Patreon for extra unedited episodes from MoQuest Studios. More so, just tell your friends and family about us so we can grow and entertain like about two more people. I ain't too proud to beg, but I will if necessary. So please join me, Roland and Daniel, as we discuss chapters 6 through 10 of Gods of Eden. Enjoy. Okay, so chapter okay, so six, chapter the, six pyramid the pyramid builders. In this chapter, basically, Bramley is going over the fact that, uh, or trying to prove a point that uh, pyramids themselves weren't necessary for these people to build uh, just for themselves. That basically the reason they built them were for aliens. Uh, for they were burial tombs. They were a uh, place for mystical and religious rites and a marker for aerial navigation. And at the time, obviously, there was no aerial navigation other than the proposed theory of alien, ancient astronauts. Right, the custodians and their spaceships. Right. So, and according to Bramley, the pyramids were encased in the, with a white limestone, which could be visible at great distances. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, on yeah. that note, um, mm. he's got a little footnote in there, and I... I didn't catch it till this morning when I was sitting in my car waiting for it to defrost. I know you'd asked me about that at one point, Ray, uh, and I forgot to mention it to Daniel, but I thought white limestone was like alabaster. Oh, what, um, are, what are the pyramids no. made out of? The lime, they're just limestone? I mean, but is there there's different types of limestone, right? I'm not the... Yeah, alabaster is limestone. Person. It's okay. just... And, uh, oh, so maybe but it's, it's, it's used like for fine as alabaster, but I don't... That, I'd never heard of alabaster being used like in large scale uh, construction. Well, like it's... Yeah, they're talking about like casing stones. So, but every yeah. text I thought about, even like in the arc of like ancient Egypt course I took they just call it white limestone so I'm not sure if there's a difference between alabaster and like the type of limestone they're getting based yeah, on it's yeah. you know whatever what chemistry was. was hanging out in the semi-warm waters where limestone likes to form so yeah that was my issue on that like I'm not too strong on Egyptology I didn't take that class I just know like a few things here and there that I picked up and one of them was that I, I don't know too many uh, like variations of limestone and that was the only one and I sort of understood it as being associated typically for like uh, valuables yeah. you know like, like when it comes to ceremonial the mineral items, of uh, alabaster you know, is very soft calcium like, carbonate as a mineral itself because you have like aragonite and dolomite or sorry right. dolomite has no. uh, manganese in it so it doesn't count mm -hmm. but just regular calcite or uh, aragonite they still are calcium carbonate, but they are formed under different circumstances. Like, uh, I think aragonites like can be formed by like fucking like clams and shit too. Yeah, um, I think so. But uh, forget. Is there is there but is there like a significance as to why they chose this particular um, 
A rock. See, so I'm speak. not, I think, because in my, what I can remember of Egyptology, it's like, you know, these pyramids were supposed to be initially capped in, you know, white limestone to make them more brilliant, whatever, but there was never any, what, what, and in my learnings of it, it's like, they didn't talk about like the sourcing of like, did they get it from fucking, you know, Ethiopia or wherever the fuck, um, or why they particularly adopted the, you know, white limestone encasing usage. Mm -hmm. Uh, but bringing it back to Bramley, because he said, you know, the limestone's fucking gone. Today. I mean, as far as we know, it was just an aesthetic note. choice. Most of the limestone is gone today. Except yeah. for a few blocks found at the great base of the Great Pyramid, the limestone casing has been excavated away from the buildings beginning of the first millennium AD. I was like, excavated. <laughs> it was fucking looted for whatever fucking reason. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah like, it was robbed. The fucking like there, there, there's places in Peru where you can still so, see the the tire tracks in like the dunes of people backing their fucking truck up. Yeah. And then a bunch of blocks missing from archaeological sites. And it's like, oh, they're just, you know, they take it pretty goddamn seriously. Like it, and this it, happens all over the fucking place. But it's a, it's an easy way to get shot over there. I just find it fuck fucking funny for, you know, Bramley to say caught. it was excavated away. Why didn't you say it was just looted? Did he, did he, did he put that in quotations? Cause he uh, didn't, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> Cause uh, that would have, that would have been a bit more accurate. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And, uh, I he, thought this he, was interesting, though, how they mentioned that mummies were used, like, ground up in, um, like, medicinal uh, uh, um, uh, forms or whatever. Like, that, I wasn't aware of that sort of thing, so I don't necessarily know. Like, is that, does that track? I mean, far we as don't know. I mean, you, unless I guess you, you know on. more about the history of. Sorry, uh, what was the question, Roland? I, I so, spaced out for uh, like, a second. So, Bradley mentions here, dude, that, like, one of the uses just apparently of, like, of mummies was that they would they were ground up as an ingredient for like medicinal uh purposes. Yes. Mummy dust was a thing, dude. The apparently the Victorians were crazy about fucking <laughs> mummy dust. Would they just what would they like, like they inhale this or it? just like add it to their food? <laughs> in just in various ways. I'm no, not sure usually, if they were just like doing lines of it or whatever was, or yeah, mixing exactly. into tinctures <laughs> or whatever. But Ooh, we got this thousand no. year old rock card boner now. Let's go. But yeah, no, like there was a bunch of like Fucking you know, tomb raiding Congratulations, and you've pulling got the mummies needs. and then uh, grinding them up and fucking selling them to people who had more money than cents. <laughs> like, I mean, that's usually how it goes. Uh, but no, 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 yeah, this was a people, thing, dude. Yeah, like, yeah, I was curious about that. The thing I thought was fascinating, which I wanted to follow up into, not necessarily the the mummy dust for stupid ass people for medicinal purposes or whatever, um, was the fact that there are the preservatives used or sorry, the substances used to preserve mummies. So I guess their preservatives all the same, um, are, were used in paints because those chemicals yes. were like friendly to like paints. For right. Some that reason. was the other thing that I thought was interesting. Yeah. Like cool dude. So now you have like a 2000 year old mummy on a 500 year old wall. That's fucking fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I kind of wonder if they could go and, and like, take a... And figure that out, yeah. Take like, a scraping of like it and, can, like, test it. Right, because, like, um, mineralogically, the bone should be hydroxyl apatite, and that has a very definite signature on X-ray diffraction right. itself. And I assume in other uh, 
SEM methods and shit like that has its own signature. Uh, not sure how much they'd have to remove, but I know for XRD, you can remove very little of a substance. And yeah, get a good, I, mean, I imagine they wouldn't picture. need a lot, but I'm not right. Too I sure. just don't. I'm not, I'm not sure about sample sizes for other things. I just know that like uh, X-ray diffraction rev involves so little. You know this exactly but, because yeah, you just need like a baby. fucking like pinhead of material and you can get yeah. a good profile of like what was going on in a sample right it's not like a blood test where they got to fucking suck a vial of you of of a sample out of you or whatever to uh to run something it's usually just a more more often than not a lot of them involve just like a scraping right well yeah no like it really like stunned me when i was doing my own x-ray analysis because and this is like case of what like to analyze to potentially like promote the analysis of like these older paintings to see if like you had people in them <laughs> and yeah. then maybe link that to Egypt. Um, because I would have stuff where it's like, holy shit, I can barely see the residue that I have collected. Uh, like, I think it'd be a microscope. Like there's, oh, yeah, absolutely. there was like so little material, but then it was still like, wow, still plenty. you can see like 10 different minerals just in this tiny little fucking, you know, I think it would be fucking, fucking interesting, man, to like to see if like you could go to an area and then analyze a certain amount of like paintings or uh, 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 just even construction. Because I, I mean, because the pigment wasn't just like exclusively for that sort of thing. Like they, I'd assume they put it on buildings and like just other frescoes and other things, and like tra tra uh, trace it to see uh, whether. Uh, it has any like you know DNA peaks or whatever in there, and then see like Dude, how many. If there's like if there's like fucking, different I think locations, it, collagen for it, but you could potentially where, like, do can, fucking um, stable isotope analysis. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which for our listeners who are busy getting laid, um, stable <laughs> isotopes basically work uh, where I'm not. That wasn't something I specialized in, but I saw, I read a lot of papers on it and saw presentations on it. Actually, the one conference I went to where I gave a paper at, I was the one guy using like mineralogical methodology or mineralogical methods to like present data. Everyone else is using fucking stable isotopes. But with stable isotopes, you can, from a little tiny little fra fragment of bone from a subject, you can get a profile that tells you things like whether their uh, diet um, had things that involved like a lot of nitrogen in them. Um, yeah. Phosphates. So you can figure out like whether people had like a particular, like a primary like plant diet or a meat diet. And I think right. there's even distinction between like what kind of meats you're having, whether it's like fish or like terrestrial fucking be beasts. Um, so there's all this data. So I'm just wondering if like anybody got like, really curious about some of this like you know mummy dust being repurposed into you know yeah it would be interesting to see architecture like, a, like uh it would be interesting to see like how that sort of traveled around and like how far they could take uh yeah uh, and even it's just like a little like silly like you know just puff piece about like do you know that there's a thousand and homes in Britain that, that are like the historical records. made up of dead people? You know, see, like, and then okay, they go these, into the oh, well, the paint used and this, this area know, was supposed, supposed to have like X it. amount of mummies, and like over time, like they only ended up with like one or two, and it's like, okay, well, let's see if like we could trace where they ended up, like after the fact. You know, like okay, they were looted and ground up and turned into like aphrodisiac, but but uh, inhalers or whatever the fuck, or like they were painted on the side of somebody's house or whatever. 
kind of stuff. Right. Like, I mean, you that know, would be fucking nifty. Did somebody like buy a whole fuckload of mummies on a discount to <laughs> yeah, like make right. whitewash out of? Like, <laughs> yeah. Who the fuck knows, dude? Like, now, uh, one of the things that uh, Bramley does bring up was that the the construction of these pyramids and the persons building them uh, for reasons were because that the introduction oh, and enforcement of feudalism were... was introduced into Egyptian society. Um, now, does right. anyone have yeah, uh, like the, a certain uh, yeah. definition of what feudalism so is for our listeners? It was, it was a pretty extreme version of it, even like I think as far as, as uh, feudalism is defined um, – yeah, because, because you think feudalism, you think back to like uh, like 1400s Europe where right, you have like exactly. peasant the farmers. Ages. They still had a plot of land, but like part of their crop was going towards the state. You know, maybe in the form of like a local lord, whoever, who like kicked right. the king after the fact in a form of like taxes. But right. the way that the Egyptians taxed their people, and this is probably like old, you know, old hat to many of our listeners, and I apologize for that, but I'm also trying to reach to the new ones, but there's a thing called corvée labor where instead of taxing people on goods, uh, they tax services. And those services were in forms of, of corporate labor. Um, so public works, roads, um, the old irrigation systems back in Sumeria w- was a fucking like form of corvée labor as well. Like, uh, because you always had, you know, citizens of Sumer and all these other fucking dickheads constantly maintaining the dikes um, because the Tigers were faced to go ham. But the Egyptians applied that to all their constructions, basically. Um, the Inca did it all the time. Uh, yeah. It was called meat mock um, or mita labor. Uh, meat mock was a system where they would actually kind of like divide and conquer where they would conquer a population, then move that population to a different fucking area to help like keep down potential rebellions or whatever. Cause right. people yeah, are out like of their fucking, of it's that take away that home port advantage. Force their acculturation um, into the caste. Yeah. The Inca were fucking great state crafters. Like, God damn, I wish they left a writing system for us to analyze. Like that would have been dope. But how, how is it that but, you think that, uh, that was, uh, that, that feudalism played a part in the fact of in this, uh, the custodial gods and human beings. Um, I think it might've been an extension of sorts of the, like the custodial uh, hierarchy themselves. Cause you know how, like when we were covering 12 planet, the, uh, right. the Nephilim themselves like were separated into different groups. Like they had the ones that stayed on the ship and then they had the, the yeah, labor the Nephilim or whatever that came stayed down on the ship. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, Were they yeah, they had the. Yes. Yeah. Well. Uh, oh, was Dugai the name of that? That of, was the name of, of the, the guy that became the moon. That was yeah, uh, right. the name that was of Dugai, uh, right? Kinga, Kingu, who became King- who became the moon. Right. Uh, no. 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 So, so the so Dugai like, were the Nephilim who stayed on the fucking <laughs> ship. Oh, um, you're talking about uh, the. Uh, no, 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 no. Dugai was his name. Was the name of the moon. Um, oh, you're, okay. You're talking about uh, the. Uh, oh fuck! What were they called? The the eagle? Uh, no, no. I'm forgetting. Uh, so, listeners, if you want that information, go check out our Twelfth Planet episode. My, my point was um, that, yeah. like, they had <laughs> while while they didn't necessarily seem that way. Like, uh, as far as I I assume, people looked at them like they were just gods. Uh, they they had their own sort of hierarchy and like 
if, for example, how, like I was mentioning before, they had the people, the laborers that came down and worked for like 10 years or something like that in the mines and, you know, gathering resources. And that was their, their lot until like they were just like, they got fed up and they created humanity from that. And they were the ones that took up the, the, the burden of, of uh, labor from them. And, uh, but, but on earth, they, they wouldn't have to create this kind of system so that, I mean, so that's shit, was, shit can get done basically. An extension. Right? And, that's why I was saying it was, it was an extension of that because once so, the, uh, once they started having humanity sort of like set up their, their bases, set up their, their own colonies and whatnot, like they, <clears throat> they pushed on their own organization, societal organization to them. And it was just more of the same. So like you have the, uh, Pharaoh, priest gods or whatever the hell they were called that pretty much uh, uh, were, were part of the elite class. And then you had the pyramid builders, the laborers that were part of the, you know, the surf class. And they were essentially like slave adjacent, I guess. They didn't quite have uh, like the... I want to... Okay, so this was something that kind of surprised me when I was reading this and how like Apparently, the laborers hated the priests. Like they okay, hated the so elites. So actually, I I want to touch on that actually because I'm very confused okay, I'll wait, by I'll it. Wait. And I think this maybe it was it was a little it was a little confusing. It was a little confusing there because I again I'm not I'm not a, no 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 too read up um, on that. So and okay, it's not my, even from an Egyptologist. It's just from like critically reading what he's like the you know few, few paragraphs before and after yeah. that fucking you know citation where it was like you know the Egyptians hated the builders. It was a bit of an it was a bit they of a even tangent threatened that, to go like, destroy go in and destroy the fucking like tombs of the kings. Or right. Whatever. Yes. Exactly. Um, we'll get back to that right. a sec. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, that was a bit of a tangent. My, my point was though. that like they didn't necessarily seem like uh, straight out. Uh, slaves with no choice necessarily. Uh, it was, and I'm, I could be wrong, but it seemed more of like an acceptance of their uh, birth uh, organizations because. <clears throat> well, you sound like, like Kanye. Explain, right now, sorry, what? You sound like Kanye, man. Slave, <sighs> slavery was a choice, Gross. bro. Gross. Uh, <laughs> well, for them, because they hadn't like a a religion and a state system that sort of. <clears throat> espouse the idea that uh, your your um, your stature or your your place um, in society it, was determined by your birth. Yeah, and now you're conflating Hinduism with uh, no, Egyptian no, 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 no. Like they, no, they uh, wasn't. Didn't what, that? What, didn't that? What, uh, didn't that expand outwards and actually? Uh, no, it probably <clears throat> definitely influenced later. Systems. Influenced them. Because um, I thought particularly that, when you uh, had you know the quote-unquote Aryan influence on Hinduism or whatever, um, and we'll yeah. potentially get back into this, but just going back to the idea of like feudalism being set up in Egypt. So if we're accepting Bramley's idea, didn't they have the that the system? Brotherhood of the Snake was initially set up by Aya to fucking help out humanity, right? And how they're co-opting it. Yes. The setup of feudalism to lock people into job into their like their occupational states, right. which was not like a caste system, um, because I'm not there's I don't remember any tales where it's like if you're born a slave you stay a slave you're born a fucking 
master woodworker. Mm. You stay at master woodworker. I don't um, remember any of that coming up okay. in Egypt. Yeah, no, you're right. Like I've, it was probably determined. Like it probably resulted in these folks ending up like taking on those the roles of their fathers, mothers, whatever. My my but, idea was that, uh, or my main point into before I I started uh, sort of blending those two together was in that like they seem to be a bit more accepting of their occupations. I could be mistaken, and I'm talking about again in Egypt, as far as right. uh, uh, well, I'm not sure there's anything to to go off of or to make the assertion that people are more okay with it. You know, I can only say that you had in a that, heavy, uh, you know, a heavy religious, a religiously based state where literally your king is God, right? Or the representative of the gods, or the god later after Akhenaten gets his way and gets if, quantum theism kicking off, um, <clears throat> partially would in it, Egypt. Would but it be it logical to assume places. that if the Egyptian elites were so hated, as Brumley says, by the uh, I commoners, don't know who they're talking unquote, about there. Do Actually, you think just, then that they would have like? It would have lasted as long. Can like you can you tell so us a page years. number where you're actually? That I, from? I'm gonna I'll I'll read this for us. Okay, go ahead. Um, so it is hardly surprising that the pharaohs and priests who acted on behalf of the gods were often immensely unpopular with the Egyptian people. The old kingdom, kingdom circa 2685 to 2180 BC, was followed by a period of weakness and unrest. Even the Great Pyramid of Cheops had been broken into by unhappy Egyptians. According to the story of Ahmed Fakhri, the Egyptians so hated the builders of the pyramids that they threatened to enter the great tombs and destroy the mummies of the kings. Uh, such intense loathing is certainly not surprising. In order to get the Great Pyramids built, Egyptian society was made more repressive in order to make human labor operate with greater machine-like efficiency. Okay, so... This whole thing, though, it's a so that little paragraph, the Egyptians so hated the builders of the pyramids. So the way I read this shit kind of out of like outside of the context of this narrative. And it leads to me to suspect that it may have a, a factor in being misrepresented in this book mm-hmm. is the Egyptians so hated the builders of the pyramids. So. I interpret the builders of the pyramids being the dickheads who actually were putting the stone blocks into place and stuff, like the laborers. Isn't that what it would be, So, Who they would be? What else would they be referring to? What I think that Bramley's trying to refer to is that the fucking, like, the people hated the priests and king. And they, because, you know, they, they hated the... It said like the builders of the pyramids, but it's like they threatened to go like uprise or whatever. Like, why the fuck would the priests and king who are making all these dickheads do shit for them threaten to go break up the stuff that they're trying to make people build for them right. in the first place? Right. And who are the mummies really important to? The state, not necessarily, you know, Bob the fucking potter <laughs> who has to go fucking move blocks on the weekend yeah. as his like army reserve training or whatever you know um yeah so i guess it doesn't make sense that the priests would uh, so, so right like if you if you want it for yourself it's a uh, page 63 like yeah it's a top and I, I i recommend it actually because like it's just once like i read it out you're probably half listening to me listening around and half slurring or whatever but um 
But when you set within the context of like the paragraph above and paragraph below, that little citation gets very curious. I mean, he cites so, it. So, I mean, are, are they the, the Egyptians? Um, the actual like Egyptian um, people or people is that, it like that, the that Egyptian are building state? Or? Yeah. Yeah and, yeah. and that's unclear, like in the context, of, because like once you think about like these these threats set within the context of Egyptian society, potentially, why would the pharaoh and the fucking priests want to perpetuate violence on right. fucking their ancestors, their icons of power? Because they come from this long line of other priests and other pharaohs that... Per- have the kingship and godship with them or whatever. Like it just doesn't make any sense. How? Uh, okay, I guess I'm having a little difficulty following you. You, th- you're saying why, why would, would why, why would, would they perpetuate why would Bob violence the Potter against? Give a fuck about you know the fucking pyramids. Like why would I he would go just say and, my- and, and and then if you have this repressive Egyptian society, uh huh. How likely is it that this populace that spends 700 hours a month fucking moving heavy ass blocks around for these other dickheads have the energy or the resources to go in and fuck with the state, you know? And that's so like a real like shitty thing to say because like the revolution I, is alive or whatever. But like when I was mentioning how they were before, how like the labor uh, class had been more accepting of like their their roles within society. What I meant to say is that like maybe they uh, seem to have more of a sense of duty uh, to. I, I think that's that's it's all that's very part and parcel. But but yes. but at the same time, like the elites themselves are again they're, like they're elites, and so like they're eccentric. Or I would I would I would sort of associate them with with the eccentric eccentricities. Uh, wait, that they what? preoccupy themselves with being no, no, wait, specifically wait, 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 wait. being specifically yeah. let me Please. okay so being specifically uh the idea of like the pharaohs uh getting suckered by the custodians into saying look like you want to become you you do what we tell you and like you'll become a god like you'll become immortal like us now build like you you tell these guys to build these uh these structures and then you put yourself in there and you know do all these things or whatever because i don't think that like they did anything like uh, anything that had to do with that that entire process that 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 whole idea with mind to the commoners. No, the who you're saying like, who, who are they? Like um, the pharaohs, like the priests, the elites. Okay, so the priests who wanted the, to be they wanted to be immortal. They wanted to be like the custodians themselves. And I think Brownlee even says in here like they got suckered into believing that after they died, they're mummified and like the spirit stays. Close to that body and like right because that's there where they is become, a discussion Bradley goes into where the so the brotherhood and the overall religion of Egyptian society got twisted where the idea is that the the spiritual like the immortal like, spiritual being that you are they became materialistic actually tied to your material form right, right. and so that so is, that's why the, the egyptians had this big thing or at least the egyptian elites had a big thing about like you know mummification preserving bodies obses- best they like could, an obsession and with, even with making the stand-ins like little like wooden you know figures right. and shit and they they became obsessed with their own particular uh self-interests and uh I guess sure. material uh material wealth 
uh, to represent like their their transition into immortality or whatever was based on those factors. So that's sort of where I think the ideas of the repressive feudalistic uh, society came in to where like they had a disconnect between the values of the elites and the the common the the the, the, the laborers or whatever. I'm not sure there was. But that's though. where I get that's where I get confused with it because I would because make I, the assumption that because everyone's doped on religion there. Yeah, exactly, know. exactly. That's why like I'm trying to make sense of it, saying that like okay, maybe the reason that the you know the the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker <laughs> put up with this bullshit is that like that was their their uh, perspective right. on and life. So like, look, this is what if, God you know, says for me to do. I'm gonna do it. It sucks. I fucking hate you. But you know what? Like that's you no, know something from that, what I believe like in. you know perhaps you know this historian that Bramley uh, cites uh, Fakri was full of crap. You know because yeah because that's how you per- per- perpetuate. This is how you convince people to do shit that you don't want to fucking right, do. Yeah, it's like it becomes you know? a cult of sorts where they're. Speaking of cults, <sighs> like zealots, I um, which isn't really related, I guess, but. There's something very interesting that Bramley does through his book. Whenever it's a historian or a social scientist, they're referred to as professor or mister. But when it comes to the space engineer, uh, Asmanov or Asparov or whatever the fuck he talked about, I think in chapter eight or nine, um, that's referred to as doctor. So anytime like the soft sciences are invoked, they're always Mr. or Professor, mm-hmm. even though these people may have PhDs, you know, <laughs> but anytime I mean, it's a fucking sciencey dude, it's always Dr. So-and-so. So I wonder like what Bramley is trying to do with that. Like, why didn't he can you, like, can you, uh, can you do me a favor? Can you write that question down real quick or type it into the document or something? Well, you think he had some sort of bias against, uh, academia, uh, like, <clears throat> Certain information bases, even though like a lot of his stuff is coming from like uh, unreliable as fuck sources, you know, these ancient texts and stuff and it's what dickheads have to say about them. But now I got to remember this fucking question to put it in the drive real quick. So one second, boys. Uh, But go ahead and keep talking. The custodials uh, and like Daniel mentioned, uh, they were basically uh, specialists in the, the Machiavellian tactics or whatever they oh, sort of just played with yes. people from the <laughs> shadows here it is shit sorry i, got, I gotta bring this up because okay my, go ahead no go it's ahead always yeah, sunny it's reference fine. oh wait it's under jehovah sorry okay we'll okay. get there then yeah, we'll get there we'll in save it. Minute. machiavelli is so not come up until my my seven. the main reason i was mentioning is that the custodians like play with things from the shadows without you know the right hand uh necessarily knowing what the left is doing as far as you know the different um uh, Different, Roland, uh, you're getting in chapter so, seven. Yeah, sorry. Uh, my point was, as far as that goes, was that your like, point was they, you're talking about chapter seven, which we should get into. But yeah, what you got? Well, well, like I just <laughs> wanted to read this part where Brumley makes fun of uh, of the uh, the pharaohs. Basically, these guys are in charge of everyone, and like they're again, like this sort of going back to what I was talking about, how they were acting their own self interest. Uh, he like they fooled themselves. Uh, The pharaohs were taught that if they cooperated with custodial plans, uh, they would escape the human predicament by joining the gods in the heavens, the predicament being death of, you know, life. 
there was one catch. The pharaohs would be allowed to escape Earth only after they had died. Pharaohs were taught the silly idea that if they had their dead bodies carefully preserved, the bodies would be brought back to life and they could join the custodial gods in the heavens. Some pharaohs, like Cheops, also buried large wooden boats near their tombs. According to some scholars, the pharaohs believed that their entombed boats, solar barks, quote-unquote, would be magically exhumed and endowed with the same power that caused the boats of the gods to fly. Pharaohs believed that they would be whisked away after death in their magically powered wooden boats to the homes, the home of the gods in the heavens. So, yeah, that was why I was talking about that whole thing where there could be a, a sort of like a disconnect in the, uh, or rather not necessarily a disconnect, but uh, some confusion as to how this whole society functioned in itself. If you had these two, I guess, bodies of, of, uh, of people uh, within, within the, the culture sort of calling the shots, but like they believe different things that, uh, you know, it just seems confusing that they would still be able to function uh, with each other or, or rather within each other's whole uh, sphere of belief, uh, specifically one side of these motherfuckers are, are, are vying for immortality and the other side are the ones that are helping them get it. You know, like they don't, they're not getting anything out of it necessarily, I would think. So that was, that was the whole discussion or crap that I was rambling about trying to like make sense of why these guys are like, why, why are you going to put up with this if you understand that, you know, you're basically helping someone else achieve, uh, achieve it, it, eternity or whatever, like, and you're okay with that? Like, um, I wonder if maybe that's where Bramley had gotten the, or maybe he's the one that made the assumption himself that the serfs hated hated the priest and the elites. No, from looking at it that way, does he literally met, cited he? another historian? Sorry, I, you cut out. He what? He literally cited another historian. Who I know, but they, like, yeah. it doesn't. It still doesn't make sense because like. The little I understand, I've never heard of that. And you yourself had said that it was kind of confusing. Well, no, it was because I I'm, I think it was just misrepresented. But okay. one thing that is not misrepresented, and sorry, Ray, but we're going to spend a little more time in Chapter 6 because we need to talk about the Brotherhood a little bit. Um, and its path and its corruption of the spiritual so that's where I got a people's little understanding confused. of the spiritual being what exactly corrupted the brotherhood was it the the custodians right like because well, yeah, originally no, the yeah. other custodians got involved and they co-opted it yeah Even because though, the, the, okay, the, so the original idea was to like of course spiritual was from enlightenment one spiritual from, Ia, from one person yeah was the but one they wanted to come the, in and and uh disrupt that because right. that would just mean that the the humans that they created would, because could, could, was could the ascend one spiritually would become uh, them basically yeah Io, Io was the one that was actually trying to help and the yes. custodians themselves were not of that of like Io was the one weirdo or whatever and the custodians so, um, were, were just trying to exploit everyone specific text I want to bring up um, just to follow this path of like what the brotherhood's doing and how Humanity was further locked off from their knowing how to attain like spiritual enlightenment or immortality or whatever you want to fucking call it. So, um, 
According to Bramley, the original Uncorrupted Brotherhood engaged in a pragmatic program of, of spiritual education. Uh, the organization's approach was scientific, not mystical or ceremonial. Right. Um, but then he goes on to Egypt and talks about the mystery schools where oh, yeah. you bring in, you know, initiates. And initially it was open to any priest right. in Egyptian society to, you know, learn these great secrets. And then it became. But, uh, but they put these fucking, you know, barriers up against people disseminating so knowledge because it became political it, right like there was a one for one i forget one ruler in particular that came along and changed the rules and made it to more they were more exclusive weren't they oh we don't get there roland but she's let it. me talk damn it i'm sorry all right all right i'm sorry go ahead um so the mystery schools um everything was taught fucking you know you know word you know word of mouth, word of mouth. you know yeah, there's nothing written down and it was a yeah. way to keep you know shit exclusive and also to confuse it so Brandley makes a point in here somewhere where he's talking about how like the the best way to fuck up a scientific discipline is to have like word of mouth essentially where mm. little ideas change because no matter how true people try to play the game of telephone Right. Details are going to change. So I, um, I I agree with that. And one on one hand and the other, I think he's overgeneralizing because to somebody that takes this fucking so seriously, I would expect that they would be disciplined enough to actually make these guys recite these fucking teachings and like just you know no, drill it into they their would, head. No, but the thing like, is, there was also like, you know on pain of death to not reveal those fucking you oh know, no details. no no yeah sure absolutely uh but i'm just talking about how he sort of oversimplifies the no sure the idea but you know it's also his tradition book, you know <laughs> is yeah is uh is by its nature meant to lose the details lose the the specifics um so i i would sort of understand where he's trying to what he's trying to s sort of say with that but at the same time i'm just like no like you're you're kind of assuming that these guys are fucking dumb, but like that's their entire life. It's not like they've got anything else going on for themselves that they're going to be like, oh man, like uh, I really want to go like uh, <clears throat> go fishing or some shit. I don't know, like whatever the hell they did for, for leisure, which uh, that sort of thing isn't isn't something that they would participate in, I would assume. Like that's the whole, anyways, it doesn't matter. Like my whole point is that like, yes and no, <laughs> you're right. I don't. First I see what right you're saying. You said all night. Hey. Um, what's up, Ray? No, no. Keep going. Uh, we're at yeah. 40 minutes right now in this chapter, so I want to. Oh, no, move sure. It along. But it's. Um, so, as you were trying to bring up earlier, Roland, like the next point is uh, when kind of the game changed in Egyptian society. And it was a. Uh, it was a. Uh, Akhenaten. Yeah. And he was like Amenhotep was the, the fourth. fourth? I think. Yeah. Imhotep. Um, who. Moved the capital of the Egyptian state. I can't remember where it initially was stated in the, uh, Luxor or no, Luxor is a cool site, but wherever it was fucking station, he moved it to Amarna and basically did this huge, just whiteboard wipe of religion uh, in Egyptian society where he tried to make everyone um, monotheistic. Um, right. Now, this is Bradley missed an opportunity here because he could have totally talked about how the monotheistic religion was based around Ra. Mm. 
mm-hmm. the sun god and how it would have tied in better to Sitchin and all that sort of shit. Like, it, just sort I think it's just like a missed opportunity. That, um, uh, that Well, I mean, of a sort. Like, I thought it was a good note for that he mentioned the monotheistic uh, uh, teaching or following's belief system is what sort of birthed modern or Christianity. No, um, it did, but that's that's a little tidbit that because it that's all going to grow out from this like these, <clears throat> these oh yeah because chapters, like, like they, it's it's unfortunate that we're spending like 16 hours on the first 10 chapters of this book brotherhood's most our, famous our offshoot christianity state. but yeah they are so critical in laying out the foundation for you know his later discussions because once again everything builds on each other on I one do, another in this fucking book i do like um, how he sort of specifically like shows the details like in their uniforms and those things how like the regalia yes um uh, the uh, but the big thing here is when the idea of monotheism being introduced is you have the idea of a one supreme being creating fucking everything right which goes against the actual way the world works you know when with the original brother of the snake where Everyone's a spiritual being. We're just one in an infinite number of like experiences hanging out or whatever. You know, right. this is like light for sure. It's it's just another way to restrict the spiritual yes, ascension, right. I guess. Access to that, right. Yeah. Um because the spiritual being is like aware. It's something like, you know, they no longer associate with like the material plane. Right. So like pain of death doesn't matter anymore because you're infinite or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but one way to restrict this or one of the other, and and I love how Bramley ties this back and it would take another hour to talk about the association with like the Bible and Genesis. Was the introduction talk about of the revolving swords, you know, as the, you know, garden of Eden, you know, against, you know, humanity gaining spiritual enlightenment um, at the hands of the custodians. But, you know, he says, like, you know, brotherhood monotheism was one, another revolving sword or part of the revolving sword. And then initially it was uh, the mystery schools being just uh, restrictive to, like, you know, like the priest, priest and elite and the pharaoh. That being another revolving sword against, like, the humanity overall. Um, but... It's just cool to trace this because he watched the Brotherhood adapt various just controlling tactics over time. Right. And it's just this slow roll of like, okay, here's this pantheon. You kind of know us. And I think that was kind of of, like if this is all like true, um, (laughs) it was brilliant that the Brotherhood via the behest of the gods or aliens – made it into like one supreme being or whatever mm. because that further shields them being discovered. Right. You know, so was this, you know, a bit of, you know, fucking uh, well, cloaking that they the, adopted or that they tried the, to instill into like the human psyche so the, the game quick, didn't get figured uh, out? Uh, part of the book that before the, the last paragraph, it does say, it says the true nature and capabilities of every spiritual being would therefore be hidden by doctrines which state that only a supreme being may enjoy pure yep. spiritual uh, existence and unlimited spiritual potential. Brotherhood monotheism would actually hinder human spiritual recovery and prevent people from grasping the true and probably much broader scope of a sp- supreme being. Yep. 
So I mean, uh, their their plans slowly uh, evolves into shrinking the number of gods. So again, like you said, that can't be discovered, and yeah, uh, it pretty much just, grasps the fact that like you are incapable of knowing. Uh, you're not all powerful. You're not all knowing. Right. Any of this, and there's so, only one spiritual being that has that capability. Um, uh, he, Bromley does specifically mention that uh, on I think page seventy-one. Uh, uh, Supreme being is usually portrayed as a spiritual yep. being capable of possibly unlimited thought, creativity, and ability. Supreme being is said to be an entity which can make and unmake universes. The big question is this: Why must we be limited to only one such being? Uh, is there any reason uh, not to suppose the existence of 10 such or 100 such uh, or an almost infinite number? Uh, the Brotherhood's definition of one God describes a native potential, actually describes, and I'm assuming this is the uncorrupted form of the Brotherhood, uh, the native potential of every spiritual being, including those yes. spiritual that, beings that who would animate be human its bodies original on intention. Earth. Yes, yes, I would say. Right. Uh, uh, Roland, wait, do you, wait, wait. Do you want to read the, the last chapter, which starts with the uh, Brotherhood monotheism? Is that is, on? Uh, that's the same seven one. Yeah, right at the there. bottom. Yeah, uh, Brotherhood. Get ready. <clears throat> Take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brotherhood monotheism uh, was another piece of the biblical revolving sword to prevent access to spiritual knowledge. It also allowed the custodians to greatly elevate their own status. As part of its new monotheism, the Brotherhood began to teach the fiction that members of the custodial race were the physical manifestations of a supreme being. In other words, custodians started pretending that they and their aircraft were the one only God. History records that they used extraordinary violence to make homo sapiens believe the falsehood. Few lies have had as devastating an impact on human society. It had became a prime mission of the corrupted brotherhood <coughs> from the time of Akhenaten. Ak Akhenaten? Not sure. Akhenaten. It's a, it's a spelling I'm not used to, but usually there's like an E. Mm -hmm. Like it's all E's there for the con. Is it Akhenaten? Yeah. Whatever. From the time of Ak Yeah, but it's Akhenaten. Akhenaten to the modern day to make humans believe that the custodians and their aircraft were God. The purpose of this fiction was to enforce human obedience and to maintain custodial control over the human population. In no case is this clearer or the results more visibly tragic than in the biblical story of the ancient Hebrews and their one God named Jehovah or Yehovah. Chapter, Chapter seven. seven. Jehovah! Jehovah. <laughs> okay, so uh, any of our listeners, if you're even like, the casual um, religious person, Catholic, casual Catholic, casual Christian. If you went to Sunday school, you probably heard this shit. The name You're Jehovah should ring a bell. Episode. Um, right. He is the main character, the main God in the Old Testament character. specifically. <laughs> we get introduced to Jesus in the New Testament, but also Jehovah is the, the his father in the New Testament. Uh, he is the God that and is just the same so today. Our listeners know that yesterday, today, and you know, forever. He is the way, the truth, and the light. You're talking and about Jesus Christ. You give your, if you give your heart over to Him, you can get avoid your eternal city damnation. To the ground. Oh, that yeah, sure. Uh, Daniel, I, I, I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate you uh, finally uh, revealing our true. Uh, Motive for Valley yeah. Strange. We wanted to do at least 15, 16 episodes, us talking about weird shit. Uh, that way we can actually invite our lost listeners to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. Well, you know, 
<laughs> We're a few episodes deep in this now, and uh, I hate myself every day for lying, man. <laughs> I wake up every day and ask Jesus to forgive my sin of lying to our listeners. <laughs> I can't. No, I can't. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> so, before we get into Jehovah, I'm just going to ask this real quick question. What is the tangible difference between a thought and a prayer? Mm. Nothing. Like, why not say, like, thoughts at you or prayers at you? I'm thinking Why thoughts about and prayers because, a, like, I'm, I'm and thinking also about like praying. with these little religious <laughs> nut jobs, it's like if you know the whole talking out loud, or but you can pray in silence and God hears you. So then that means like you have like a little like no, angel God NSA won't hear you ing- unless you're in a church because there, that's where you, you get know? the best reception. Uh, Everybody uh, knows Roland, this. Roland, that's a lie. You don't. Uh, you can pray <laughs> anywhere. God is everywhere. No, Roland. You ain't getting your fucking no. You oh. get the best five G reception in a church. Actually, Everybody knows this <laughs> science, baby. Citing science. the Bible, actually, wasn't it? Uh, Paul who talked about like. Basically, like being mindful of prayer all the time, or whatever. But it was like it was like this idea of like you don't have to be like on your knees or whatever. If like, but if you're like mindful of God or whatever, yeah, you're that's actively right. praying yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, word. Yeah. No, no, I can't but, say that's uh, like a direct quote, but I mean that's kind of a gist of. You don't have to be in a church to get five G reception no, you from for God. But, uh, you don't. Uh, as long as you, in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, you are right. thinking of God. Then technically you are, you could be praying twenty four seven. You are godly-ish. So, it, so if you aren't a Catholic, there's this idea that you're not saved by deeds alone. Um. <laughs> you know, um, minus the 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 three to five minutes that you're looking at porn on your phone, where you gotta like bust a nut. Then after that, mm-hmm. you're you, forgiven. What are you doing with yourself? Yeah, yeah exactly. No. So you for, you ask for forgiveness, and then you continue thinking about God. That right. isn't that isn't until you get a boner again, and then, and then it stops. Yeah, then you're like you're cut yeah. off. You go into yeah. Into so like, actually, you my, go into God most, airplane mode, and you're only getting like you go into three G connections. Yeah. <laughs> my cr- my most Christian <laughs> moment <laughs> in my life was uh, I was so in my big throwing away party recently. I was I was like condensing you know ten years of shit that I've never looked at you know or I haven't looked at since just thrown in the bin. And came on this picture, though. It's of my sister and this bum in New York City, uh, 2004. And I took the picture. on like I, it's, It was like a shitty disposable Polaroid. So I actually missed the bottom part of the sign. And I hate myself for that. But the guy's sign said, I need money for booze, hookers, and drugs. Hey, at least I'm not bullshitting you. <laughs> I appreciate the honesty, right? Dude. Yep. Yeah, so I have this like great picture of my sister fucking hanging out with this guy, fucking smiling, like, you know, shitty and grin, you know, and <laughs> we gave him like a few bucks because it was like, I respect that, dude. <laughs> because that'd probably be the kind of bum I would be, man. Okay, so in uh chapter seven, uh speaking of Jehovah, uh the old te- the old testament basically starts with describing um, the origins of the Hebrew people. Uh, of course, you get like the Genesis, the beginning, uh, the Garden of Eden, 
And then the Exodus uh, from uh, well, Egypt. Actually, Whoa. like once again, mm. like missed opportunity to linkages. Like, so, I mean, like, Bramley first linkages a word book because he, he links them from Sumeria. So yeah, yeah he does, but yeah. he doesn't really though. Like, because all he says he is just says like in the whole like Egypt chapter, he doesn't talk about any real ties necessarily to like. Sumeria or whatever. So it's um, like the chapters kind of sit in a vacuum almost. Wait, you're talking Except about for like a, No, Sorry? I'm talking about Bramley, bud. Okay, because um, I don't I don't understand. Like, I mean, I'm just reading like the first few lines of the chapter here, and that's I'm, I'm confusing it yes. where he talks about okay. Sumeria. So he just offhandedly references it. Okay, yes, go right ahead. It's not, you know, where no, all these like linkages and ties as to why like this initial Hebrew clan decided to rock with a monotheistic faith versus the faith of the region they were living in, which was right. polytheistic. There's no, so he could have had a whole chapter on that. Like, you know, the rise of the Hebrew faith or whatever and treat them like the Egyptians because. Would that, sorry. Would that have anything to do with the brotherhood of the snakes? Uh, attempt to like oversimplify like their belief systems and, uh, Synthesize that with, well, with like well, logical sure. and their the scientific approach to really existence. For this. I, I, I want to like, say like if it, it didn't like morph into like it doesn't seem like it morphed into monotheism like right away because no it was like a, in, it, in, it was no. Genesis it was a distillation maybe they took they took all of the um, they took no but all in, of, in Genesis there's a quote that says like um, about them uh, referring to humans. Uh, them being like us whenever they're going to like bite the tree of knowledge or of good and evil, one of those. And like that already alone, it's it's plural. So, I mean, that's not monotheistic in, in its entirety because I mean like, uh, but then again, they try to resolve that with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which are three in one. So, I mean, that You're that seems that seems like a very uh, cop-out way of... Uh, but referring to monotheism. you're talking yeah, about yeah because like I wish I knew a little bit more about you? like the kind of like the regional histories of these spokes right right because yeah. like stretching from like Egypt to you know the Middle East um, because there's a progression there that we don't yeah we don't talk because about. because like what I'm confused about like with the timing is like so you have all this shit going to Egypt cool like monotheism becomes kind of a thing but like what Brentley doesn't talk about is how, although, like, maybe the Brotherhood stuff did work out or whatever, but as far as Egyptian main mainstream society, they abandoned, as soon as fucking Akhenaten died, mm -hmm. they went back to worshiping the, like, entire pantheon of Egyptian gods. But, um, uh, the one thing, so, I, one thing I would like to know is uh, what motivated the custodian gods to go from uh, a polytheistic uh Belief to a monotheist. So, like, what, what, okay, what, so what was like, the turning okay, so, point? So, so, right, so, so, like, like, that I thought and, that and, the uncorrupted version like, of the brotherhood was what adopted those particular ideas, and then once they become corrupted or whatever, the custodians were just sort of like they just kept pushing that narrative along. At that point, Wait, because the, because it made it sorry. easier for them to like, I would think that the idea of people worshiping one god would make it easier for the custodians as a plurality of gods to. Uh, sort of like fade into the distance you know like it would have been easier for them to manipulate them okay cool and and uh that and i'm not like talking shit like but that is like a piece of the argument earlier about like how the custodians are trying to like you know 
fade into obscurity and go like right. one yes. dot. So it goes right along it, with it your just makes them easier to. Um, but what I wonder about is, and I think race question is, why was it more beneficial to go one God? Because we just have Bramley's fucking interpretation, but we um, don't know like why the gods potentially would have been like, maybe oh, let's shade over to this monotheistic dude. You just know? makes it easier for them to, because like, wasn't unless, the main idea that was, uh, to sorry, be able um, to control them, to manipulate just like societal, like their, like no, 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 sure. Their but direction before and their we thoughts. continue too much, like Ray, what, what was your actual argument then? Because like, oh, I saw your no, face I, like reacting no, I'm, a little I'm, bit. I'm, I'm like, curious. I, I was saying, what was their motivation of the custodial gods right. to move Why, to like, over to monotheism? Because uh, there had to have been a point in time, maybe um, those who were involved in the polyistic uh, belief that maybe they found like, maybe they cracked the, the code a little bit and they decided to, they were able to move along spiritually but in order to like right. restrict them even further, they decided to invoke the one See, god. Okay, yeah, okay. So maybe yeah. related to your question, Ray, is okay. Why is it more beneficial for if you assume that you're keeping humans in the mm -hmm. dark, like if. on an even plane? But why is it more beneficial to say, oh? The fucking storms, the fucking fires, the fucking weird deaths, the diseases. That's all, one, all one dude versus, oh, no, that's fucking Nintersog shit, man. That's why he died of Maybe fucking it just, you know, it alcohol just gets, poisoning. It's you know? less complicated that way, I think. Not or, really, I would, because but I don't think that there's any real difference in information. Because, because they like, have— there's No, still no, the information is the like, same. entity that is responsible but, for this ailment. And actually, right. I would think that it would be maybe more advantageous but to have a multitude of gods because they have people think, tripping over themselves trying to make sure they're thanking the right god for the right I, thing. So, mm -hmm. like, I think that they would encourage uh, the oh, idea. Ray, you're a little face there. You've thought about that. <laughs> so, I, uh, I'm thinking they would they would encourage the idea of an all knowing, unknowable, uh, un, uh, uh, god. Because they could say, you know, and then that's where the idea comes from, you know, for example, uh, 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 God has, God's ways are mysterious or whatever, uh, as opposed to multiple, a plurality of deities that would encourage infighting necessarily, like when they're more than likely Not trying really because, to. Because, because in that, I think in that hierarchy and the way that it maybe worked potentially in like back in the Sumerian society it or back would, in the Sumerian times. It would was work like, with the idea of like, had, an, like one particular Opsu society. Slash, uh, or a new, that was the fucking, you know, head dog. Yeah. Okay. And that was the main show still, but you but still what had, about, you know, multiple agents responsible it, for different things. And right. I think it's fucking potentially more confusing to go, oh shit, I spilled the salt shaker. Was so, that fucking Ninlil's shit or was that Ninhursag's so, shit? I would say that that <laughs> I would agree with that uh, in the aspect of like that one particular society, but in this case, like with the introduction or like the ideas of Jehovah in this chapter, like they have, uh, they have, I guess uh, the the is it is it the Jewish culture? I'm I'm blanking here, but they have them go and subjugate a completely other fucking uh, civilization. They're the Hebrews, actually. The Hebrews. And, thank you. Uh, excuse me. So Dude, like, so I would so think, I would think that like for the purposes of them, like having to, 
control multiple fucking civilizations at once and have them like fight each other, uh, having them uh, like the individual societies themselves, uh, uh, you know, uh, arguing over like who did what uh, makes it more difficult for them to all band together and listen to what like Jehovah has to say that like, okay, like the, you need to go and like uh, destroy this town or whatever, because they'd be more preoccupied. But actually it makes no sense for fucking, you know, the, the, the custodians to go in and wipe out other people because that's a, that's no, a it doesn't, it doesn't like, your labor uh, pool, I think that was one of the things that they mentioned that it really doesn't make any sense or it was really sort of like confusing as to why they had uh, groups of folks that they already controlled, uh, you know, kill each other sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, what did he mention? Did, was it for the, was it the idea of like just for amusing themselves or was there an actual gain to be had? Uh, no, it was basically, you know, Jehovah said, you know, go wipe out the Canaanites or whatever. I think he it. said it was like a whimsy thing, right? They were just like, oh, yeah, they yeah, said no to me well, when I was like, well, hey. Well, there's this thing, you know, <laughs> like, and he goes into this, uh, it's later in the chapter. Hey, where, I'm where cool, he right? And they're like, the, eh, I guess. You no, know, fuck it's you. funny that you, like how, how you're simplifying, like, oh, they said no, so we should go and like fucking. Because he does, kill he does on. mention like. No, I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna say that. I mean, I know, Jehovah I know, it means jealous God, so I mean, like, you imagine yeah. like that's like a fucking uh, a Karen or a fucking uh, <laughs> who the fuck like gets pissed off over anything these days? And um, they said, oh, like they don't like I don't like what they're doing, so go and kill them. And it's, yeah, it's very petty. Um, it's, it's very petty. I like mean, on obviously, I'm being, I'm being super reductive about it. But oh, yeah, 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 that yeah, was the main idea. Like a lot of the things in the Old Testament, uh, and I mean, Ray, you'd know more about that as far as uh, this all goes, were just like very like, <laughs> I mean, they just seem very petty. Just like, don't do and what I say. Why okay, did you, you die. assume that I don't have a level of expertise in this field? Because I actually kind of do. Right? <sighs> I mean, he did, he did go to I understand too. you as being a more more New Testament guy, Daniel. Okay, um, I doesn't mean I, I don't know. I like Jesus more. And stuff. I mean, I read like, <laughs> like I met I met you, Daniel, at a Methodist church. So yeah, I don't necessarily. So. I thought for the most part, like they, they were. Hey guys, more I mean, I was I was Testament. just one uh, service away from carrying snakes and shit like that. So. Yeah, that's what I was say. Like Ray was on the crazy New oh, Testament yeah, I shit. I know, I know exactly. And also, Old Testament. And the only stuff Old in the Testament. Old Testament so church when I met you, Daniel, at shit. your church, I was like, these guys are pretty fun. Like they're all right. Like they're not shitty or whatever. They're not no, like, no, hey, if you don't like, sing, I'm that, gonna kick you in the dick, kind of thing. You know. But no, but in that so, hippy dippy kind of environment, exactly, there was a lot exactly. of education as far as like. Yeah, you know, what the like there was one and like, I tend to associate those I tend to associate is, that mindset and perspective a lot more with the New Testament than I do with the old. Like I would have never pictured you as the whole Bible burning kind of stuff. Uh I can understand that coming from Ray's craziness. Um <laughs> and it's funny. But like, yeah, like I'm I, I met you before I met Ray. Yeah. Like quite a long time before. And um so yeah, like those were the those were my, I guess, uh, assumptions uh, for the, okay, uh, at the so time there. So I, I, I don't know. I couldn't I, I pick know. up the fucking Bible independently <laughs> and look at stuff and I picked it up out of internet, boredom, okay? Know? Like, I never, no, <laughs> like, I, I, like, had nothing to do. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to read this. 
And um, why don't you think that I did then? You're just like assuming Ray has his expertise. So, that's what I'm so arguing. Again, so again, like this was all what I'm like, oh, because I'm Ray, like, with Ray, I, I was, uh, with, I was with Ray, poisoning the church longer than Ray with, uh, was. For yes, fuck's but sake. like, like, but with, but I think with you, it was, it was more of a, it was more of a theological bent. With Ray, it was more of a brainwashing. <laughs> like What's he was, he was, Ray you know, was yeah, per- <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> you willingly went into it. And Ray, it Ray just the, lived yeah, it. Like, like, I had no choice, you, man. Like, Ray, like, Ray I, I, won't, I won't lie, there was a level of brainwashing going on, a level of ignorance <laughs> on my part until you kind of take it upon yourself to not be that person anymore. But I mean, ooh, you're such a rebel. Yes, yes. There you go, Ray. I mean, I, I was a Catholic no, for, a visionary, for a long time actually. too. Uh, that I went to CCD and like a Saturday uh, Bible CCD school. CCD is shit, so uh, it's pretty much Catholicism. That Catholic that's not, training. That's not Catholic. Shit. It's like po- it's like no, a Catholicism it's, youth group is basically what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. But there's also like the whatever like uh, confirmation bullshit whatever it's yeah called that's catholic, catholic church like catholic happens catholic through yeah. like that ccd program or I, I, I did that as well being, so, like, I mean, when I was, whatever. yeah i forgot what age, age group i was but i mean i did that yeah also, i did all that so. shit mm. yeah okay so so yeah, just I, going mean, to like, I guess like technically i'm a confirmed methodist or whatever but mm. like whatever dude. i want to like, go into more characteristics of the of Jehovah that Jehovah, uh, yes, actually, and and I do, and I, and I think it like really sucks that Bramley like. Well, he did and didn't miss an opportunity here, but when he was discussing uh, the appearance of Jehovah to Moses to Ezekiel and all the other accounts, you know, he comes in in a, you know, there's the sound of trumpets or whatever right. that's supposed to mean. Right. There's Ezekiel's thunderous waves. There's fire, is- you know, coming from the clouds or whatever. Um, and they're like fucking flying around like badasses or whatever, but the kind of the meaty part is, which I think is fascinating too, because it's like, read it. I got it right, right here. What do the Anunnaki actually look like if they're coming down and people are interpreting it as fucking, you know, a figure with a lion's face, a human face, a fucking eagle's face as wings and, It's like and treads. What, the, and the, the trippiest thing about the wings, though, is like when the figures turned, the wings didn't. Right. So it was like, so if your wings were like, you know, like facing out from you like a butterfly and you turn, are like your wings on your shoulder basically then like on your like side you are opposite of from who you're facing? Because in the Bible says the wings did not turn when the figure turned. But they're facing in different directions as well. So, I mean, they yeah, could have so, had, like... Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, like a butterfly. Vertical takeoff like, landing or directions, whatever. And they then, so, <laughs> so I, I have little wings on, right? And I turn fucking this way, but I still have wings that are out. Like, <laughs> Anybody that looks up some, like, drawings of, of Jehovah, like, you're going to see some interesting shit. Yeah. Right. Because it, it is very and so, funky. And so Dude. I'm just wondering, like, you know, is some of the stuff out of like the old Testament and new Testament that's associated with, uh, the experience of extraterrestrials actually maybe not. Perhaps it doesn't have a base because of how they describe these things. Well, yeah, and there uh, are linkages when like, you um, go to, I would like, argue, you yes, know, like the, for- the Vedas or whatever. And there's like fire rockets or whatever. But I would say that, um, 
I would say yes before the simple reason that uh, you have human humanity trying to describe things that are, that are just but, but do you beyond think, their, you think, I mean, uh, beyond their the understanding. Uh, the motives so of it's the Anunnaki. Speaking of like even like the Tower of Babel, like there was a motive to confuse the humans, and every time yes. they presented themselves in front of uh, yeah, on these top people, of that, even if they came yeah. in with an eagle's head with a lion's head and all that kind of stuff, it was just yeah. a motive to confuse to with them. the person that they were yeah. trying right. to. Uh, yeah, yeah, they they could have been. Uh, but I think that it would have been. It could have been cosplaying if not some more. shit. <laughs> Show up as something that only vaguely resembles what you look like. Right. Yeah. yeah. Do you think like the like the, God, the gods were up in their, came uh, down, you their know. crafts, like uh, performing like arts and crafts shit? They're like, oh man, check it. Did you see that fucking animal that's down there? Let's fucking make a suit out of that and just like show ourselves in front. How yeah, much of a sense? How much of a sense of humor do you think these fucking aliens have? I'm mm. gonna I'm gonna go off and say like that maybe they have like quite a bit of a sense of humor because I would say a lot, yeah. Because like, I mean, regarding uh, Twelfth Planet, whenever they were actually trying to genetically uh, mutate. Uh, modify humans and they were like creating all these like weird uh freak show looking people and stuff i mean that seemed almost intentional think, they do make do the joke of nin herzog like they, they do make the joke of nin herzog fucking with people like she made somebody yeah, that was incontinent exactly, yeah. she made someone that like um oh i forgot all the shit but like do you yeah. think that any of them said like fuck at any point, they're like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> like we messed up. I think <laughs> I think it was probably after the fact because when like like the example was just mentioned, she was drunk. Ninerzog was drunk when she started doing all this shit, and then they were just like, "Oh, well, that's not going to work," or whatever. Like you know, when sobriety kicks him in the face or whatever kind of thing. Like, and oh yeah, we're actually Ninerzog trying to like prevent this fucking uprising of our own people from like coming and fucking us up. Like maybe we should take this a little more seriously. I wonder if someone like but, went up to her and was like, "You made that." She's like, "No, I didn't." Like, "Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. You, made, you did." That was you. Like, Look, oh shit! Right here. <laughs> but um, perhaps we should uh, transition me. from the gaudy stuff of the book to the the meat of this chapter, because every time Bramley goes into italics, I really pay attention. Um, and he's referencing when uh, you know, allegedly Jehovah sent the Hebrews to go conquer half the fucking planet. And he says, well, I'll get to the sentence before it to preface it. Um, to whatever degree the biblical story of the conquest of Canaan is true, it does tell us something very important about genocide. Genocide is a, often a tool for promoting rapid political or social change by quickly replacing one group of people with another. Uh, for this reason, genocide has emerged as a significant historical phenomenon in connection with many brotherhood efforts uh, bringing about rapid political and social change. So it's the aliens still fucking with the brotherhood to promote their agenda, but they're fucking icing people that potentially if, you know, the Canaanites worshiping Baal doesn't line up with like Yehovah which I think is silly because like Baal was really close and it was closer to like Assyrian and Babylonian figures than Jehovah was. So wouldn't that go more in line with the Anunnaki planet control? Because then this is like a more established tradition. Um, like Baal may be a monotheistic figure. However, he was still like a principal deity among a pantheon of quasi kind of like monotheistic friendly kind of 
Like it was still a pantheon, but it was not like 8,000 gods. But yeah, so Baal was like the principal dude of the Canaan, Canaanites. And so in a later chapter on Solomon, apparently when Solomon set up his temple for Jehovah, or maybe it was in this chapter, um, fuck it, he's just like, fuck it. Worship Baal. I don't care. And you would think if you're going through this major construction, you're this like mighty king who's got like all these bordering countries, you know, nuts in your fist, ready to squish, that you would say, no, in our hood, we're like, you know, Constantine in the future. You know, we rep, you know, Yahweh. I just, I just kind of wonder about like, you know, so like maybe history plays out the way it does, but you know, hindsight's, you know, close to 2020. <laughs> and I just wonder about some of the motivations that, you know, potentially, you know, these space invaders that probably don't exist would have had for manipulating well, humanity. Do, <clears throat> you do, you, do you think that maybe like um, they're the reason for the genocide, even of all the cultures, I mean, there's there's uh, examples in the, this chapter that show that Jehovah was willing to kill the Hebrews as well um, for their yes. disobedience. So, I mean, if he was willing to just command that the, they go and kill other, uh, whatever, like ethnicity or culture and stuff. Then he showed a gunpoint, basically. Huh? Yeah. What was that? Or what? Are you, are you suggesting that, like, no matter what the outcome of the Hebrew people's actions, they had fucking no choice really because Jehovah had a fucking gun to their head. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So it was out of fear that, which is, that which this whole thing was totally uh, fall, falls in with the custodians. Yeah. You know, but cause that, that would, that, that would mean that like, since they have that one God calling all the shots, like there aren't other gods that they could kind of pray to or like look to for guidance or like maybe this God is, um, rebelling or something there's one person one person in charge so right. he makes all the choices so there's no other person to look to so you either follow fall in line or you're about to get iced i guess that also that was another form of control like it just made yeah that, but that, that exactly that that was uh just adding to the whole hindering and of human beings the further mind fuck of jehovah because just after you know Bramley talked about you know how genocide is an effective tool he talks about the Ten Commandments. Right. And he discusses how, like, it's really crazy to think about how a deity is willing to send his subjects to go fucking annihilate, you and know, break entire all populations. Of these rules. Yeah. But then there's a thou shalt honor thy father and mother, you know. <laughs> thou shalt like, not cover thy neighbors. But that's uh, a little main fuck. But, but the thing that, like, another, once again, lost opportunity that I think Bramley should have explored that I think he just maybe ignored um, because it didn't fit his narrative was, and it could have actually maybe augmented it, was the fact that the Ten Commandments and a lot of the laws that Jehovah set otherwise for the Hebrew people only applied to the fucking Hebrew people. Right. It's like, you can have a slave as long as you're not a Hebrew, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, like, it's, there's all this crazy shit in the Bible, but it, we said in the context of, like, oh, yes, here's the Ten Commandments, but here's all this awful shit. Well, like, fuck, actually, only this stuff applies to, you know, the chosen people of Jehovah, you know, being the Hebrew. And then you, then you wonder further... Okay, so thinking globally, yeah, you have the Hebrews and Jehovah rocking shit, 
Right. If they go on this and they basically settle and stuff, and maybe that's part of the plan, you know, these little regional centers or whatever. So maybe you're still like perpetuating the Tower of Babel of, you know, confusing people's languages and cultures and so forth to keep them divided. Fuck, man. Like, sorry. Like, and I started thinking about the Tower of Babel itself, too. Like, it's like, so if the Tower of Babel happened and people got all, like, their languages fucking confused and right. essentially then all their life ways got confused because of it, why did the Anunnaki need to, like, or why did the custodians need to set up the Brother of the Snake? Why did they set up, like various monotheistic religions and the maverick or the maverick religions came up in response to like the brotherhood traditions. But well, that's one reason I, I brought up earlier was that like, maybe but why did you keep fucking with people after you scattered them? Because they're still going to have like that innate programming of like, Oh, I must produce. And the Anakius comes in like, Hey, this is ours. Peace. Or just comes in the middle of the night. Takes the resources, fucks off. And they're like, what happened to my beet farm? You know, uh, must have been a weird storm. Um, and and we, we did mention the fact that, I mean, uh, all this mass genocide that was going on, going back to Bramley's original intention uh, when he was writing this book was uh, warfare. Sides. And uh, that reasons for warfare were uh, for even for money or for... I forgot what the other they reason needed, was, but like he does mention that the, the reason for the mass genocide was for political gain in certain regions. So basically they were just looking to take you over. You know what? Actually, all of this is A's fault. Yeah. <laughs> At this point. No, no, no. Like, like all of this is like if the Adonaki didn't have the little spur on their side of Aya taking the kind of favoring to humanity, then there would have been no fucking, you know, subversive side to the custodial God's plan of subjugating us. Right. So because we the whole reason already, we got we a Tower of Babel situation was because we we're influenced by fucking Aya. Encouraging independent Damn. thought. Actually, that's like this all goes back to Aya. It's all his fault, really, if you follow this back. Like because he took pity on people and decided to like bring them. He's the one who was supposed to be the fucking snake in the Garden of Eden, you know? For instance, since we have uh, the, the Old Testament and we have Moses, who is a person who uh, brought exist, the Hebrews out of Egypt, brought out of that. Again, why the Hebrews? Moses I'm not himself sure being a point. student of the Brotherhood. But um, it shows that Moses was in constant defense of the people that he was uh, leading from Jehovah because Jehovah was seemed to be at, at a point where he was willing to wipe them out at any point. I just think they were trying to, like, Call yeah, as much so people as they can. Actually, just to bring in con. like the bullshit Bible narrative of the fucking subjugation of the Hebrews under the Egyptians. Jehovah, once again, being a fucking jealous God, put all these curses on the Egyptian people, which, which y'all remember from the fucking Prince of Egypt fucking movie, which is fucking fun to watch. <laughs> Great animation, good music. But Jesus Christ, the thing that we best, best deaths ever is that doesn't, Jehovah doesn't guy, used like, his fucking, and- you know alien power to harden the heart of the pharaoh to where he'd be like nah fuck that i'm not gonna let y'all free and i don't know why i don't know why there was never like this must have been like in the council of nicaea in 1534 when they edited the bible because i'm sure there's like 600 pages of moses going wait a minute you're gonna fucking make it harder for us to leave 
because you use your magic on this guy to make him say no automatically. Right. Which again, and then you punish him and his family and all the people he rules goes with plagues to and fucking locusts and shit. Ideas. Because you set the rules. Like you fucking broke him. Yeah. Short term like, to them, it makes like, no why sense. Why did Moses not be like, hmm, maybe Baal's what's up? <laughs> like, <laughs> like Jehovah's playing the long game or whatever. I, um, I don't get it, man. Like, so I guess Moses did not have a brain cell. Well, I mean, uh, Bramley does mention that he has a bit of humanitarianism regarding the fact that he was constantly in defense of his people. No, no. And also um, with, the, with that humanitarianism... Um, in relation to the Ten Commandments and the birth of the snake. Um, so Bramley suggests that Moses was like a decent dude and looked out for humanity and that part of the Ten Commandments and other of the, the parts of basically the, the nice parts of the early Old Testament right. was Moses. <laughs> right. That's such a funny way to describe it, man. No, but like that's basically what Bramley's. No, like, you're right. You're right, but it's man, still like, funny, like to hear out loud like, the nice oh, parts of the Old a, Testament. Yeah, like it's <laughs> it's not all fire and brimstone, right? Yeah, and that's Moses, man. So like you in, know. in this chapter, uh, Bramley does quote Machiavelli, Machiavelli, actually Machiavelli, Machiavelli, Machiavelli whatever. Veggie. No, because if it's always sunny, Veggie. Oh. and I have the quote here, and this will preface the whole thing. <laughs> I'm playing both sides so that I always come out on top. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that the last yes, time. Yes. I, I did. That's yeah, I wanted to bring it up because it's... <laughs> I played both sides. Now, he, he does mention the fact that, like, all the conflict between, uh, like, the Hebrews and other cultures as well. It says human disunity was a valuable commodity to the princes because it made the people less able to mount a challenge. Again, right, you keep the people pliable. divided, they can't uh, unite From and... Exactly. You know, revolt. From a, yeah, from a number a, standpoint it's an and from a, their, of their like, mentality. It's a, I'm making the point, the connection here, but it's like why hunters and gatherers don't engage in warfare because mm -hmm. they don't have the fucking resources to. Right. And that's what, and so actually it kind of fits because hunter-gatherer man was probably very good for the Anunnaki before they decided they could like fucking make them build shit for them. But even right. that like kind of like stupid state we used to be in. Because with sedentism, you had increased population. And so that was where it got more complicated. Sure. And then you bring in the gods and monotheism or whatever. Mm -hmm. But hunter-gatherer man was probably really good for the Anunnaki because they were just fucking just stupid, ignorant of what's going on. Right, but yeah, they were also, too busy but, with, but also with surviving. from a control perspective. So, like, they could probably have, like, or rather those caveman Roland's ancestor fucking moving blocks of fucking rounded stone onto a wall face they're going to plaster over was uh, because shit. Beer brain's working. Fuck. I mean, if you want to or, go to sorry, page 85, um, it kind of goes into detail from Machiavelli's, uh, I guess, a quote. I'm not sure if it's a quote or a paraphrase. Oh, well, okay. We're going to go back. We're going to zoom forward a few thousand years then. Cool. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Machiavelli's great, though. Like uh, Regarding um, the the way a Jehovah or the custodial gods are manipulating humans. Playing people against each other. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So it says the way to set out, set about... This is to win the confidence of the city, which is disunited. United. And so long as they do not come to blows to act as their arbiter. 
Arbitrator. Arbitrator. Arbitrator between the parties. Between the yeah, parties. I'm, I and was then, on the same page, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, and when they come to blows to give tardy support to the weaker party, both with a view to keeping them at it and wearing them out. And again, because stronger measures would, uh, would leave no room for any doubt that you were out to subjugate them and make yourself their ruler. So um, I'm not going to read the whole thing there. But uh, one, one of the things that we did this uh, mention, uh, Daniel, was that the, the gods using uh, monotheism to kind of like fade themselves yes. into the background. Uh, he says uh, for a technique like this to be effective, to that the, the, per- yeah. the perpetrator must the remain hidden is. from you yep. as the source of the conflict. Right. Yeah. And so the next page goes back into the David Icke stuff, but that, that four sentences is basically problem, reaction, solution. Right, right. Go ahead. Um, so erect conflicts and issues which cause people to fight among themselves rather than against the perpetrator. It's one. Second point, remain hidden from view as the true instigator of the conflicts, which before we go to three and four, as we've watched this narrative as the, you know, the custodians have kind of like faded into the background, like under the veil of like the brotherhood, under the veil of monotheism, or right. available of like as the long state, as they keep them all know. fighting amongst themselves or within the the larger scope of of, of those cultures, they can keep gathering resources. And, so the uh, important part, though, that Machiavelli brings up that tributes. friendly sites that the custodians are good at is lend support to all warring parties. Right, right. Everyone, finally, everyone believes like uh, God is on their side, you know. So right, uh-huh. and so the God on your side actually flows perfectly into that last point of be viewed as a benevolent uh, source, which can solve the conflicts. Like be the good guy. Like I'm just a little impartial guy. I want everything that's best for everyone involved in this. You know, I'm not benefiting whatever. Let's sit down and I'll negotiate the terms of your treaty. You know, he he refers to it as a a factionalism uh, between human beings. Um, the Bible so then, says the custodian encouraged yeah. the factions. They Thanks control to battle to one another. Roll with that. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're good. Go for it. Um, all the while, the custodians have proclaimed themselves the God and angels to whom uh, people should turn in order to find a solution to all of the warfare. Uh, this is a classic sequence straight out of Machiavelli. <laughs> Fuck you, man. I see what you did there. Uh, Daniel, uh, there's a quote um, on page 87 towards the bottom where it says, uh, the way to keep fighting artificially alive is to create unresolvable issues which can be only only be settled by the complete annihilation of one of the opponents. And then by helping the opposing team sustain their struggle against one another by equalizing their fighting strengths against one another by, oh, I said that already, and to keep the whole race in a constant state of strife. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, they have to be in constant survival in order right. to... Um, it's a constant a distraction. No, and, like, and, and Bradley goes on, like, I think it's, like, a little later in this, like, in that same, like, paragraph, but he's, like, you know, the... And which reminded me of Hunter Gatherers, but it's, like, you know, the best way to kind of, like, keep people in control is to, like, keep them at war and stuff because every building is blown up, every tank needs to be built. That's taking away from resources of overall prosperity for, you know, the species, really. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It keeps them working. Um, whenever they destroy something, It just keeps them distracted and building and, shit that doesn't help exactly. them attain their spiritual enlightenment, really. No. Right. 
but it uh, keeps them placated, or rather, just like I said before, distracted. So they've they've got to keep working. Or uh, what is it? Uh, maintaining their 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 strength. And I was trying to read. Are there any other thoughts you want to give on this chapter regarding Jehovah? tedium. One second. I just There's I just wanted to read this left. one sentence that sort of summarized everything there. The more society engages in building war machines and fighting wars, the more the people of that society will find their lives consumed in tedium and repetitious toil because of the parasitic and destructive nature of war. I'm smiling because I basically just talked about that. You just read it yeah. directly, Roland. Yep, yep. <laughs> I know. Like, <laughs> hey, I I, I still want to I, I want to. Take this shit out so they can see, uh, hear the exact fucking quotes that we're all not just talking out of our asses. So this helps. But all right. importantly, though, like another direct quote from the book, though, like once again, a Bramley italicized moment. Oh, um, where is that? So. It's uh, I'm going to actually read a sentence for it just to preface it. So. The secrecy became a screen behind which custodians could hide at the top of the Brotherhood's hierarchy behind veils of myth and thereby obscure their roles as instigators of violent conflict between human beings. In this fashion, the network of Brotherhood organizations became the primary channel through which the wars between human beings could be secretly and continuously generated by the custodial society. So this is when... Like, kind of like almost God gets out of the picture. This is when we bring in, like, we're starting to get into, like, the Illuminati, like, uh -huh. and these other, you know, and the Masons and all these other mm -hmm. fucking dickheads. And through those networks of social networks of control that they end up be manifesting as, those are the primary means through it. It's like skull and bones and shit. This is right. how the fucking, you know, aliens are getting their agenda, like, followed through so by Their forms of control humans. have evolved yeah. with the society's development. Like, it's, it's fucking wild, man. Like, and when I brought up the whole, like, PRS bullshit, like, I just keep going back to that because, like, fuck, man, like, when Ike brought this up initially, it was a complete mind fuck. And I read Bramley before I read any Ike. And then so to go back to Bramley and read this shit, it fucking just double tripped me out. It's like, holy shit, this idea is not independent of one, you know, no, quote unquote no. conspiracy theorist. Like, <laughs> and, it's and the one thing that's great about Bramley and then Ike is that they do a good job about demonstrating their point. Um, Ike is way better about sourcing his material, but maybe it's the difference of the time or whatever. Oh, I guess I mean, sourcing his material, or, but also re repeating himself fairly regularly. So, No, right, but I you think wanna... that Ike does that because it's more of like a, here's a reaffirmation of this point. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, Diana crashing into that one pool. Oh, here it is again. Here's how it's relevant. You know, because I think seems... he's just trying to keep, you know, because, I mean, he writes books that are, you know, fucking like 2,000 pages long. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and uh, what do you do in public appearances? Yeah, you got to grab people, man. 
I mean, I, I'd assume the more ridiculous the uh, the theory, the more important it is to reinforce the the uh, the ideas or whatever. Uh, define ridiculous. Well, <laughs> as what is generally accepted, like the ideas of aliens or whatever, custodians being the ones that were in charge of like civilization and its development as we understand it. Like it's oh, it needs so, to keep coming referencing back to itself constantly. No, perfect. But on that note, um, Roland, how much of this book have you read? I'm the ten chapters or whatever, as far as I've okay, gotten. Okay, word like I haven't know, I haven't gone past it yet. You're gonna be in for a very fun ride, but I was just curious, like because the statement you just made was something that probably anyone who's read like Ike or all of his book would probably you know suggest. I haven't read um, Ike yet, so that's going to be interesting. No, no, no. Like, so it's just cool that, like, you're kind of on this wavelength just from this, you know, basic, you know, kind of, you know, delve into weird alien shit that are, as far as not, not weird alien shit writ large, like, oh, yeah, on Jupiter, there's this race that does this and this and this. <laughs> but as far as, three you know, dicks. aliens <laughs> that are supposed to be fucking with us today. Right. And how they got to that point. Um, okay. This is one of your earlier forays, and uh, it's cool that you're bringing up some of the points you are because they are very salient, but you're just kind of jumping. Yeah, um, they're coming up. Yeah, they're coming up, but it's just like your brain's already like where you need to be for this material, but... You just haven't gotten through the material to understand, like, wait, we need a slow burn through this, buddy. I guess that's my point. Um, okay, uh, Daniel, not, um, b before we actually shitting on you, but uh, up, move on to the next one. Can you just read the last paragraph of this chapter? Uh, so oh, we're going to we're gonna move on from Jehovah and into the next chapter. So if you want to just read that last chap uh, paragraph, please. Uh, detecting brotherhood involvement in human events in, is sometimes tricky. The job is made easier by following the use of several of the Brotherhood's most important mystical symbols. Those symbols act as colored threads weaving in and out of view by which we can trace the rule of the Brotherhood network in shaping history. One of the most significant of the symbols is, curiously, an apron. Chapter 8. Chapter 8. Chapter eight. Mel, Mel Chikizidex. Apron. Apron. <laughs> 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 Just cover all our bases, all right? Fair enough. Um, so in this chapter, he initially brings up uh, Solomon, King yeah. Solomon from the Bible's fame or infamy, however you look at it. Mm -hmm. But one sentence that really bothered me in this chapter, despite all the other bullshit presented in this like four pages of nonsense, which he wasted, I think. Um, yeah, this is, is one of those chapters could have been tied into something else. During the time he spent in Egypt, Solomon took instruction in the Brotherhood. But all he said about it. <laughs> like, and that's a big claim. Moving on to chapter 10. Or chapter 9. Yeah, yeah. like, let's <laughs> no, yeah, like, sh that's it. shuffle like, along and worry about it. But, like, but like, like... Is it just me just being super nitpicky or is that problematic really for his narrative? Like, cause he even talked about how Moses was like on the, like he was a good guy on the inside of the bad guys organization. But when it came to Solomon, he's like, Oh, 
Yeah. He's from some of the brotherhood. When he built this temple, yeah, he built like basically the temple at uh, Amarna that, uh, that Akhenaten set up, but yeah. he took the wings off the cross. So it's like, what, a hallway? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just like a long corridor. Like, uh, is it a strip mall of Jesus dumb? Like, or Yahweh dumb? Like, I, I don't know, nah. man. Like, I, I really don't. Like, I don't understand this chapter. Except for the whole part of like, oh, well, there's symbolism that of the apron that ties into later groups. But then once again, lost opportunity. Where were the aprons in Sumeria? Where all this shit was supposed to start. I, um, doesn't he refer to the fact that like there's pictures of them like with aprons on? But I think that I think that Egyptian. refers to the Egyptians. It's Egyptian. Though, doesn't it? Oh, the Egyptians, it's all Egyptian yeah, stuff. I get, yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, and even in the, the priest, so the he priest were... like had an aside, and so which makes me like I didn't go back and reread it, but for the fact, the simple fact that he didn't even have a little aside going like, oh, these aprons came up again in Egypt and in Sumeria or Babylonia. I would have taken Assyria at that point, but he didn't. Uh-huh. So it's like okay, well. Then really with this one, I mean, he spends like, what, four and a half pages on this chapter? Uh, yeah, on the talking about the, uh, yeah. yeah. That, like, yeah. It's super short. And I wonder if it actually doesn't fit his overall argument because he's trying to tie this all back to the custodians of yesteryear, but he doesn't invoke any examples of aprons in the Mesopotamian region, whether it be later Assyrian or early, you know, Sumerian origins. Mm. Um, so it, I'm just getting to like, maybe like hypercritical moment, like he, with the, like I did with Sitchin, you know, it's like, just kind of like, wait a minute, you're making these claims. Where are they coming from? And particularly because Bradley makes a point in like the first chapter is like, yo, read this in order. Don't skip ahead. You know, keep all this like early stuff in mind because it comes relevant later. And this stuff I talk about later makes this early shit, you know, really stick out. All right. He sort he of alludes. He, uh, but he, he doesn't like take an effort in the first fucking 89 pages of his book to take that, you know, thread from Sumer to fucking King Solomon. Mm. But he does it from Egypt to Solomon. Right. Well, I mean, he does. I, I mean, he says Egypt to Solomon, so, but I mean, how, how many years is it between like uh, Moses and Solomon necessarily? Uh, Who begot so and so to beget so and so to beget so and so to beget Solomon? Okay. So Moses, uh, 14th to 13th century BCE. And. King Solomon, he is a 970 to 931 BCE. So they're separated by about a thousand years at least. I mean, I guess um, in the narrative, so, is that a big jump? Um, I, I think he's sort of like just trying to find a way to link all of these together as far as like the ideas. 
But like they're not very solid. Like it's he's when he talks about aprons, he's like, all right, what are the associations that people make of aprons? Like these are these are laborers. These are like masons. These are uh, like uh, cooks. These are um, what the hell else did you mention here? But, but like, I think we can agree. It was, we, we it was the agree. idea. He was. We he can was agree going back that to the this is uh, just like him linking um, symbolism. And again, this right. is kind of like a wasted opportunity with this chapter. And like, then it why, wasn't necessary. Would, why would like stone workers and fucking cooks stone and workers, shit be yeah. like in elevated positions versus like I made well, everything? They they were, but like in their within their own specific uh, uh, within their own like own their own they. They were sort of subdivided in their own hierarchies. So yes, they had the again the elites and then the laborers, and then within the laborers you had guilds, and like within the guilds you have the masters, you have the 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 laymen, you have the uh, which um, I think would be kind of a quick point or a quick moment to point out that all of this shit was probably laden with the. Um, Brotherhood of the Snakes. Yes. Uh, principles of like, you know, master apprentice, don't write shit down, right. you know. Sure. Like. Sure, 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 sure. Um, because like he even goes into mention here uh, specifically um, into the uh, the teachings of the uh, the mystery schools or whatever. Like because these guys right. obviously needed to get their own, their own training of themselves. And it wasn't. So I guess that makes that makes the distinction Wait, of the what? mystery schools not Trends just involving the elites. Like I I I I, I want to assume at this point that the laborers also had their own schools that uh, had their own like teachings or secrets or whatever that they that they kept to themselves. That's not necessarily explained. I might be reaching a bit here, but I'm trying to make sense of the idea of like the Freemasons, okay. which aren't they're not priests. So, so, what you got, Ray? First, well, the, the one the one thing I wanted to bring up is the fact that uh, Melchizedek, um, who is he? Like, what is his importance? And um, as far as I'm aware, Melchizedek was a priest, and they've yeah, kind of so compared him to Jesus Christ. Right. Um, Wait, what? And um, that 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 and is so not in this chapter, like the, but like you want you need to like, you need like, to look outside yeah. of the to research outside of this uh, chapter, because uh, Bramley doesn't really go into it. To be completely fair to this discussion of us being confused about like this chapter and context of this book, I want to point out that the first page and a half ish is devoted to architecture. Yeah. Then the last page and a half so like leaves about three quarters of a page of just nonsense tie-ins but it's about symbolism of what people wore so it's like he could have completely had a cohesive argument or discussion about like the architecture of Solomon's temple and other sites that were maybe contemporaneous or earlier and, and then just go like oh hey here's the custodians once again influencing things and then when it comes to the adornments of people, like, God damn it, dude. Like in earlier chapters, he talked about, you know, how on Mars or the moon, there were supposed to be, you know, those pyramid like structures that looked like faces, mm -hmm. but he, 
he talked about how like there were some that had like goggles on. So like, why not link that to Ishtar and all those figures? Um, wasn't it? It no. wasn't in here. Like how he was referencing Sitchin at that point. He referenced Sitchin, but like, what's funny is that he gives a great shout out to Sitchin because that's where you find those. Uh, but then he doesn't really use. Sitchin's observations otherwise. So he doesn't like try to like he 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 really should have logically just tried to like build upon Sitchin's work. Even though I think that he did talk about how like no, no, it was another guy who was like, Oh, I read his work after I read my work. It was a uh, Charles Fort that he was talking about. So he maybe had read Sitchin beforehand. And this should have really been an extension. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's some pride involved where he was like, no, I want to do my own thing or whatever. But there's so much in this book that resonates so hard with whole planet that he should have ran with, dude. Like the idea, like goggles alone, like going back to Sitchin, you know, that's all fucking, you know, Ishtar, Inanna, and then later Diana and... Princess Diana, who got sacrificed. Um, but then <laughs> Ike also takes that up too because he also examines the figure of Ishtar and explores that sim symbolism through time. Um, like Bramley, I think, just kind of like jumped past some of the really meaty stuff in the early uh, Mesopotamian belief systems that would have really helped his arguments along. Yeah, Sorry I'm just from babbling, but no, just, no, no. I'm I'm just sort of uh, like I, I am in, like the sections we were talking like, about earlier that sort of reaffirmed <laughs> the, the iconography of the apron and how it's just like okay, you go back as far as the Sumerians, but the, you only reference the Egyptians on yes, and that was one of my, my initial points. So it's like using you this know, like Bramley could have done a better job of like you know weaving with, that uh, thread of his his argument. With uh, those historical because and like he's mostly using that that he's mostly using it to reference the Freemasons here. He's not really yep. like no, and so this is one of those moments where it's like anything else. So Roland, you read the first ten chapters, and Murha Bramley talks early on how later chapters will make more sense when you read the earlier shit and vice versa. Sure, this is one of those moments. He's bringing it's, the Masons in pretty fucking early. It's but frustrating. It, it takes him a hot minute to get into them later, but he does, you know, this could have really all, examine the shit. This could you have know, all been one long as much as he really nuked. did. This whole yeah, chapter. Kind of. This whole chapter. Um, could have sure. been like, aprons were cool, and like this is where they came from. Yeah, I think. actually, these are like most of his like cute little factoids he could have like woven into like the earlier chapter with like Solomon's Temple. He'd be like. This oh, is yeah. where the so Freemasons came from. Stuff. Yeah. Footnote. Solomon builds a similar structure in this year. Da, 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 da. Yeah. But, he, but I, yeah. I think that we have to also recognize the fact that he, he didn't take into account the fact that he's calling the chapter Mel, Mel, Melchizedek's apron. Mel, but he's Mel not explaining who he was and his significance because like later on, like Melchizedek's Dex apron, <laughs> the person who was the first priest king. In, Melchizedek's. Uh, Matilda's whatever. He is the <laughs> he is he's considered the first priest king and then he's kind of like uh 
resembling Christ, who's going to like come out later in the chapters. So we have to yeah. keep in mind that the, the symbolism that is important to him specifically will uh, play a role later on whenever we go down the line. But the thing is, is that Bramley doesn't necessarily bring that up at any point. He brings up no, architecture. So like, he brings up other th- other points regarding this, the fact of the, the apron, but he doesn't bring about the fact that the person, like, he's, t- the person he's re- referencing is uh, supposed to f- be uh, foretelling of the person coming later on, uh, which was, right. I feel, I feel so was kind of important like a, he, for why he didn't this is like a, Ray, Basically, you're inciting the, I think... In essence, the absolute reverse of what I was bitching about, about like how he could have taken, you know, early examples and weaved them into the present chapter. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about the reverse, like, you know, future I chapters think, weaving into I think the earlier the point shit. Of, I think right. the point because of this little. That's. Almost no, section. Like, fuck, that's such a salient point for this book. And, and Roland, I think you'll, you'll find that as you read along. Um, and I'm not trying to be patronizing in that at all. It's just like you've read the first 10 chapters and it's a big ass book, you know? <laughs> yep. So yeah, like this, this chapter is pretty much just like a transitional footnote to him talking those, about like, well, like he explains it like, here uh, in the last I'm paragraph. The Masons now, bring the Rosicrucians now. And he did that. Um, wasn't it chapter He's trying to use seven, this. As, I don't remember oh, the, uh, the number seven, of the chapter. Where he brought the Rosicrucians and, and again, like earlier, like uh, the Rosenkreutz. The Rosenkreutz. Sure. <laughs> um. So I mean, as as far as this chapter is concerned, is there any He's, more to discuss regarding? Uh, no, like uh, let me read the I, last I mean, I personally part. Because like I was is. saying before, he like this isn't really a. This chapter is just like a transition to like his his broader points about uh, the custodians and the brotherhood. Uh, What? Just wait, Roland. Just wait. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. If the custodial gods and the brotherhood had continued their activities to the ancient Middle East and Egypt, the rest of human history would have been much different uh, and this book would never have been written. Instead, the Brotherhood Network was expanded throughout the entire Eastern Hemisphere by aggressive missionaries and conquerors. Uh, one of their targets became India. Hinduism was about to be born. And yeah, and that's 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 what I think the whole purpose of this little forgettable chapter was in. Like, he didn't really need to use it, but it was just meant to transitioning the idea of look guys they're everywhere but let me just sort of start to get you on that that like um, let me take you on this trip to explain my bullshit which is where we get into chapter nine which is the fun bit how we mentioned before on the generally unknown idea of the Aryans or associated the Aryans and that is to say that how most people think they're a bunch of like racist white fucking blue-eyed, you know, blonde-haired German so bastards for our our potential you know just super basic ass listener that might stumble on this podcast. When you say the Aryans, they're gonna think Game of Thrones. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Or 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 Nazis. That's that's mostly what I was don't pronounce it like an elitist prick rolling around. It's not my fault they're ignorant, all right? And like ignorant. Selectively. Ignorant. Intentionally (laughs) ignorant. All right. Like you got nobody to blame but yourself if you choose to stay stupid all right it's not my fault so skipping like the 
weird apologetics for being white. Before you continue, someone please a chapter. Someone please say the chapter. Daniel, um, can you say the chapter, please? <laughs> oh, just, why is that, Ray? Why do I do that? <laughs> <laughs> is right. Come on, Ray. What? All right. Why not? Chapter nine. Chapter nine. Gods, Gods and, and Aryans. Aryans. <laughs> and not like aliens. Yeah, you know what, Ray? Like, maybe you no, should have been no. the one to read that one. Like, why power Aryans? No. But that's not what he's talking about. Actually, uh, Aryans, I... Uh, they were, they were. Historians generally have used the word Aryan to, to, to denote those people who spoke uh, the Indo-European languages, which include English, German, Latin, Greek, Russian, Persian, and Sanskrit. Aryan also has a narrower racial meaning. It has quite often been used to designate mankind's non-Semitic white-skinned race. By morons. Ooh. Okay, so getting past his uh, Edward Norton, joke huh? made earlier, because I can't remember <laughs> it, um, his apologetics. <laughs> it's okay, yeah. we do. <laughs> but he goes on to then like kind of like thinly connect this shit to like biblical accounts of uh rockets coming down and you know the thundering and trumpets blaring or whatever because mm -hmm. there's a quote here uh but regarding like uh hinduism right that's that's yes. in hinduism writings in hindus yeah so like the aryan leaders of india claim obedience to this to the same type of uh to the same type of space age kasoto gods found in mesopotamia and egypt Many of the human-like gods worshipped by the Aryans were called Asura. Hymns right. and devotions to the Asura were written in a large collection of Hindu writings known as the Vedas. The Vedas. So sliding down to a chariot description, it says, Now Vatu's chariot's greatness. Breaking goes it. So I guess it's crashing. I don't know. Fuck. Like, mm -hmm. And thunderous in its noise, to heaven it touches makes lights lurid, and whirls dust upon the earth. So they're um, describing a fucking rocket. Right, but the next paragraph I think is hilarious. And I bracketed it and wrote just LOL next to it. The rest of the hymn describes when in a very literal and recognizable matter or manner. Mm -hmm. The four lines quoted above, however, seem to describe a vehicle which travels rapidly in the sky makes a thunderous noise, emits a fiery light, and causes dust to whirl on the ground, i.e. a rocket or jet plane. So he's playing Shem. He's playing the fucking Sitchin Shem game here. What if it's a rocket, you know? <laughs> because, like, I just think it's funny because, like, okay, well, so by like, our I'm standards, not sure how long this fucking, be? like, particular, like, passage it? or set of passages in the beta is, but if it's all about, like, the practical effects of wind... If four fucking lines <laughs> are a little fantastic, maybe they're allegories or whatever. <laughs> like, no, it's literal. Impossible. Obviously. What else could they be talking about? 
No, if Sha. you think of a shem as a rocket, it differs the whole interpretation. You know, fucking Sishinitis, dude. Yeah, it's yeah. Bullshit. No, yeah. He's taking the fucking, like, I mean, he's cherry picking or whatever. Like, in this case, this is not a metaphorical fucking comparison. It's a literal one. Uh, so, again, this just sort of fits his narrative. So, uh, regarding the, the Aryans in this chapter, uh, it does mm-hmm. uh, mention that other cultures, uh, sp- specifically like uh, either Japanese or uh, right. South American cultures, they uh, have a belief reference that like, white, made white, by, uh, like, quote, unquote, white masters migrating to the land and they're willing to, willingly giving up their possessions. Oh, uh, okay. So, like, yeah, that has to do with the idea of like the original gods that they worshipped being fair skinned and fair haired, that sort Nordic of thing. And so gods. when they. Huh? The, the Nordic beans. It's, it's, right. a, it's yeah. a, like a, yeah, uh, one, exactly. one of like the four and races so that have, uh, allegedly have visited is, Earth or something. That is why when you had the Spanish visiting South America and Central America, the uh, indigenous peoples at the time, at for a time, were like, oh, it's the gods the return to us. Like, we're, yes. we're going to say Actually, like... Okay, so yeah, you... Um, I'm not sure where it came about in the mythos of the Aztec and the Inca. Right. But in both cases, you have, you know, Europeans, you know, fair-seeing Europeans showing up saying, like, hey, you got, we have we have beads, you have land, you know. Right. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. No, like the common—that's the common misconception associated with the, with uh, colonialism, right. right? That like they conquistadores and the rest came in and like completely subjugated people. It's like no, actually they were out out outgunned, outmanned, and like completely outclassed in every aspect. But because of the indigenous belief religion systems, and belief system, yes. they were like, oh fuck, like it's the it's You're the back. gods coming back. Yeah, because yeah. with the no, the so like they were allowed uh, into the society because otherwise. Otherwise, they were fucked. Like, they would completely demolish them. And, and then the uh, Spanish Brandley and the rest of them, they took uh, um, But they're, you know, you know, fair-skinned, you know, gods. And so when uh, Pizarro showed up with his troops in South America, they were like, oh, you're back. Right. And the same and they thing were with like, uh, uh, the Aztec yes. and uh, the Spanish <laughs> when it came to, like, their belief in Quetzalcoatl and what his return was supposed to manifest as. But what's fascinating is that you have relative short shrift from Bramley early on in this book towards the New World events, but he invokes these very specific examples of how it looks like there were, there was almost a preconditioning of humanity to know about these gods. Right. Yes. But he invokes examples that take place in the new world in the 1500s versus stuff that's happening, you know, 3000 BC, 1000 BC, 200 BC. And then he gets into the modern era, but he invokes, it's, it just seems kind of like, and I'm, Maybe I'm just shitting on him a little bit, but it seems convenient that he invokes new world examples only when it's convenient to his arguments in the first half of this book. But he never explores them. He's just like, oh, here's a story of, you know, honkies fucking up dark people here, you know, and here. But it never, but he never explores that shit because it's like only the old world matters to most fucking. 
Yeah, most alien of the, astronaut dudes. Yeah, most unless of it the, involves like the fucking side of like Tiwanaku in and Pumapunku in fucking Bolivia. Most of this concerns Western quote unquote civilization. Yeah, it's all Western or whatever. And one thing that's really fucked up. I can't remember which uh, chapter it brings up in, but uh, maybe it's the spread of Buddhism or whatever or the Maori religions. But he talked about how like these had a civilizing effect on these folks and i was like dude mm, no that's you're talking about aliens and shit but i don't think but that's the first bigoted shit you've said <laughs> uh yeah yeah actually and you know what like that I just reminds me of the same the same but- shit that sitchin that sitchin fucking talked about where he assumed that uh the like ancient uh like South American and Central American uh, folks were primitives and yep. uh, were or would have been unable to understand. Yeah, they're incapable uh, of cr- creating like all these uh, like and, the structures and, maybe that and was stuff a like that. Right, yeah. of like when he was researching or whatever, but I'm going to call bullshit because like Sitchin, you know, talk about how he spent years researching his work and straight up fucking in the Andes, fucking Max Uli was fucking around like in the 1919s or 1920s and shit or 19-teens and revolutionizing our understanding of like new world sequences and shit. There's no way that that like would have just gone like blindly to Sitchin, dude. Not if he did any, if he was ex- like, as, but, as thorough but as Once again, but I think then. it's this like... <sighs> old world fucking, you know, bias that Sitchin had because ultimately like his discussion was like the origins of humanity, but that posits that people were only there in one spot. Like even if you discount all the archaeology of people being all around the planet early on, why wouldn't the Anunnaki set up more bases for experiments? Like, okay, other pantheon of gods that are also in the Sumerian pantheon. They are forgotten because they're the losers or whatever, but they're in the Americas. <laughs> well, do you, do you think that it's, it's quite possible? I mean, this is, has nothing to do with like necessarily no, this no, discussion. Go for it, man. Like, but the fact that like uh, rambling, there's been uh, instances where uh, people have come in and conquered other cultures and like destroyed their quote unquote libraries, that maybe like it expressed like certain. Uh, Instances where, like, maybe, like, the Anunnaki were setting up shop in other parts of the world, but maybe they just, that like, all that information um, got destroyed. That's possible. You know, oh, Because dude, there are plenty actually, of examples like that. What if, uh, sorry, I'm so Andy-centric, but. Well, um, I mean, like, even in the example what of, if, of that. What if the Andes were a fucking, you know, experiment by the Anunnaki where they're like, what if we don't introduce writing and we still guide them or whatever, but like what happens if they don't have this one, like almost universal or sorry, earthly versal way of communicating. How is that different from the, uh, so so is it, is it possible that that the, maybe like, uh, different cultures, regardless of the fact that the, the tower of Babel thing where like there were different languages, that different cultures were just certain different experiments created by the Anunnaki. No, that's what I'm suggesting <laughs> yeah, because like, saying, like, because you have well, uh, like I mean our scientists now going like, hey, here in fucking Alaska, 
we've got settlements that are like 15,000 before 15,000 years before presence. But then you have in the seventies, you have Tom Dillahay excavating at a uh, site called a Mesa Verde in Chile where he had very reliable carbon dates of like 13,000 years before presence. Okay. And then had unreliable dates of like 30,000 years before presence. But still, but you have all this, but still, if you think about the narrative of, uh, oh, around 10,000 years ago, people came across the Bering Straits and populated the New World because of ecological conditions were right for it. Well, how the fuck do you explain, you know, people living there like, you know, 13,000 years before presence? Right. You know, it, down in fucking Chile, you know, way the fuck south. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's crazy. And so then when you apply the ancient astronaut or ancient alien idea, it's like, well, why wouldn't there be other experiments? You know, like, it's, this planet is fairly big, you know. And if you think about the Anunnaki experiments in the Middle East, even at range to, you know, Europe and Africa, that's still only one chunk of the world, you right. know. Mm-hmm. And, so, I, I mean, and, so, and from sorry, what we've ahead, discussed and what we've like read and learned about these fucking gods in the old world, is that they're fucking petty fucks. So who knows if there aren't <laughs> other petty fucks on the other side of the planet? Well, if you je- look at a lot of jealous, uh, jealous uh, God. Uh, it says a lot, though. So, if yeah, you look at a dude. lot of uh, uh, religious like, what mythologies if or whatever, was fucking Enlo's that's, like, fuck this shit, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but that again, like that's okay. Like, like that I was gonna go mention. A- any belief system is full of these fucking people. The Egyptians had it. The yep. Norse, the Greek, uh, the Romans. Like a lot of their gods, they're petty fucks to begin with. So, like, there's a a uh, petty sassy. Uh, there's a parallel uh, within all of them uh, that. I mean, I don't necessarily want to like stretch that particular idea, but it sort of makes sense in how like these developed from like the, the this previous belief system and the previous belief system and the previous belief system because they have a lot of uh, uh, comparative of uh, personalities or whatever or, or themes okay, with them. So and a lot actually, of them, yeah, like um, they're petty, fucking selfish. And Roland, uh, I'm going to cut you off because you know that Beyonce is the best performer ever. No, just... Uh, <laughs> Shakira, motherfucker. Have you seen that ass? What's wrong with you? How dare you? No, what Beyonce. I want to ask you is... Um, she is the most full-figured. I'll give you that. How do you personally account for the proliferation of mounds all around the world? Mm. Like so is, I, I've thought about this before, and like I've, I've only been able dude. to come up with two ideas. Uh, Which, yeah, man. That like, like we've never had only, this talk, and I'm actually really like sad that we haven't. Actually, the only two, the only two sort of uh, theories that I can have associated that would be the obvious, easiest one, or whatever, and that the we have the idea of the ancient aliens or whatever seeding uh, their their designs uh, sure. to to people uh, in that, okay, like the uh, the purpose of a taller uh, construction, a taller building or whatever is to bring you, um, to, <laughs> to get you that 5G, to get you that 10G yeah. or whatever, to give you a better reception. Um, 
in their to explain their similarity of design. Uh, aside from that, the other idea I have uh, to try to explain that is a bit of a um, it's a it's a bit of a suggestive. Uh, Excuse me, subjective, not suggestive. Subjective uh, versus understanding. Aliens. Hmm? Versus aliens. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to give we got to give ourselves some kind of credit somewhere. But again, like it is a is a subjective generalization of 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 uh, technological and societal and religious development, and that is in the idea of the original gods, the original um, deities that. Uh, uh, that uh, were accepted and organized into uh, primitive man, and I fucking hate that that phrase. Um, what gods? That's <laughs> 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 nah, right up. Right, that's that's a close second. Um, no, um, the idea of like early early humanities uh, belief systems were associated to personifications of nature. Uh, they worshipped uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, the the four winds, the uh, the storms, the you know the earthquakes, those sorts of things, and so um, in an effort to bring themselves closer uh, to the heavens, uh, they would build higher, and so like where you have the idea of the Tower of Babel, right, where like people built a tower that was so high to bring themselves so close. To the ones, to the supreme god or to the gods that they were struck down for their blaspheme or whatever. And uh, that is a, a, a sort of a, an extension uh, to me of that basic idea that uh, people would either build in two directions. And not necessarily a, a building down is a thing, but like they moved into in, 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 in two uh uh, into two areas, uh, closer to the heavens and closer to the underworld. And so that's that's as far as I can really try to think about it. Um, yeah. Okay, but before I ask Ray his take on that, I'm just going to quiz you on this, Roland. Um, when it came to early Sumerian beliefs, the underworld wasn't really the underworld. It no, was yes, it was the southern regions. hemisphere. Yeah, right. It was a location. So a more, a how, location does, how do you reconcile the idea that people, you know, dig down to the underworld versus just digging, you know, just building shit that faces the south or whatever the fuck? Um, so I'm not sure if this necessarily makes sense, but it just kind of something that sort of occurred to me is that um, by the standards of the Anunnaki, by the standards of the ancient aliens, uh, yes, uh, the religious connotations, the religious associations of the underworld were actually more locational, right? The Southern Hemisphere. Um, excuse me, not not them, not them. Uh, no, yes, excuse me, yes, them. But the uh, associations, the associations of people, uh, which again... Uh, um, were not literal uh, th to them. They associated the underworld uh, uh, in a different aspect because what they could see, and I'm I'm sort of reaching here, but what people could see when 
uh, references to the underworld or anything associated to that uh, were shown. It was the Anunnaki, what they were actually doing or what they were seen to be doing was digging. They were digging down in the mines and like uh, taking resources and shit from 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 under the under the earth. Uh, so I sort of see that as. Uh, humanity's association to the underworld and where they get the idea of like you go down not 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 a literal down like in the in the in the idea of 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 Ia and uh and enki sorry enlil uh but in the uh in the religious sense in the mythological sense they go down to get down uh down into the earth to get down to uh the underworld Dude. I thought you were going to start rapping at that point, Roland. Actually, <laughs> I don't have enough what? weed for this, Ray. All right. <laughs> I, I think that actually By any, Roland I mean has read any. the sixth book in Sitchin's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, I'm going to roll off the top of his head. Like, uh, <laughs> like, I'm, so, I'm, getting, I'm so trying Ray, to put logic into um, this, which is where, like, I obviously am going to have... Roland, I, I'm just kind of curious, like, where, what is... Um, where, where are you getting that from, though? Like the fact that they're going down, down like is south. Down thing. So right. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to extrapolate on what the Anunnaki did and what humanity believes, because when uh, like the pharaohs, uh, when like the laborers are looking out at you know these alien gods, uh, they don't see literal uh, beings. They see like something beyond uh uh beyond um human understanding are so you by that, sure you didn't smoke pot before this <laughs> i'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of curious as like how that's relating to like the hinduism and the aryans yeah. in this particular time though that's that's why i'm kind of like oh shaky well, on we're, what you're we're talking like earlier no i know but I, i'm just saying like yeah. uh what was the necess necessity to go back earlier uh, regarding the fact of this chapter, as far as like the Aryans and the Hinduism and the caste system. Well, because it's much in the same in the same vein or whatever. These people believe uh, Hinduism. Uh, Hinduist beliefs have to do with thousands of gods, and oh, they're describing and, much uh, in the same. On top of that, Ray, the phenomenon of just building mounds. Right. So that like was what Daniel. I think that's like, that's the, uh, that's what Daniel again. started out by asking me how a lot of. Uh, civilizations, civilizations, a lot of cultures across the world All had the same this, particular as late as like the 1400s. You have like Anchor Wat being built, yeah. So like and that's dirt a mounds, fucking just masterpiece dirt, in itself. Like you have, but like still, it's a you mound. have like a multitude of representations of what are essentially pyramids, right? No, no, I uh, I, I get that. That's what he's referring but to. I, I, I'm just, I mean, I'm just saying, like, how does that correlate to the fact of this um, topic of like oh, Hinduism. It doesn't. It doesn't. Why, like, like, he was asking me like what I thought. It's like Bramley, you know, old world's the fuck out of most of this book. But then he gives a, a few like nods to old world phenomenon. Not but much. But he never explores it. And much and the same as Sitchin doesn't. I think that's. But Sitchin never. Sitchin, Sitchin talks about like American astronauts exploring space, but he never talks about like the <laughs> yeah. old world or the new world. No. You no. Know. But Bramley is mostly old world oriented until the modern, like the last 
100 years, I guess. Um, but he does invoke old world examples, or sorry, new world examples from early, 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 early days of shit. But then he never talks about how it's like, well, fuck, there's pyramids there too. Right. <clears throat> there's steps pyramids. Align to, you know? And they're, they're, they're and dirt I think mounds, that maybe but the, that's the data still... was too varied for his liking because in the Andes, you have pyramids that align to the flow of the river valley. Yeah, to the, or to the stars. Or to uh, or to the stars or whatever, but like if he had invoked the star stuff, that'd been cool too. Because I think even by the time he was writing, uh, Mayanists were talking about e groups because e groups are specifically architecture that are aligned to constellations of some sort. The fact that Branley doesn't invoke this knowledge is kind of problematic. Like why? Why do you only invoke, you know, the idea of uh, your coaches potentially being, you know, a thing in the Andes, but you don't ex- really like, try to like, explore the idea of aliens in the Andes when it goes to your whole, like, global control of the brother of the snake idea? Because additionally, the snake was little represented figure in the new world. Psych, it's fucking everywhere. Yeah. You even have a snake town. It's in fucking Ohio, everywhere. Which a have lot you, of have you heard about this site, Ray? <clears throat> no, I haven't. Where it's a I believe it's in Ohio. It's it's a it's called like Snake Town or Snake Mound, but it's snake this mound. huge geographic feature. Yeah. Where people basically took buckets of dirt and dumped them all in one place. You know, like the, the Nazca lines or whatever in South America, Ray? You see a fucking or you have snake. the like yeah, you see like, like a bird, you see like a monkey. Like, it's the same of, thing, uh, but here in America. In size, it's braille. Um, yeah. Okay. It's, it's, it's the God's Braille. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just like the like I said, it's like the Nazca lines, but uh here. And but you have a huge snake. It's a snake mound. You know, here in like, you know, center town, dumbass USA. Um and okay. you have fucking snakes all over the new world. And yeah, uh, particularly in in uh, uh, Mesoamerica and and South America, like they, the winged serpents. No, I mean, I mean, rather, I, I get, like I get all that, but motif. I'm just kind of curious as to how that ties in with this chapter. Well, like Daniel's trying. Um, no, no. Well, yes, yeah. This is a bit of a tangent, but he's trying to address the uh, fact that a lot of the ideas and a lot of the iconography, the representations that they mention in the old world are um, also in the new world and we knew that here. early like and they early, they don't go on. in they don't go into detail so it just it's a little nonsense it's a little confusing as to why they wouldn't use this information for the reinforce he's, he's imposing this idea ideas. of global alien control right and there are fucking but he leaves examples, out like even if half he just, the world. You know, just kind of gives like asides throughout the book yeah but really, for the first hundred pages, there's like two New World references, and he could have fucking ran with them like a fucking champion, just to make his argument so much stronger and actually demonstrate that, like, yes, this entire planet is fucking under control. But he waits till the last uh, like three hundred pages of the book to really get into this shit. Spoilers. Like, okay, but um, 
as regarding to Hinduism and it's um, how it plays a role in the brotherhood. Um, right. We need to so get into that, though. It's sort of so through. Well, well I, uh, before we before we uh, finish that, Roland, I, I just want to make mention of the fact that Hinduism, according to Bramley, a, a religion that was kind of, I guess, breaking away from the the corruption or so of the right. Uh, the exactly, of the snake. I was. I was exactly what I was about to mention. It is in Hinduism. Mm-hmm. There are references to gods traveling through. Rockets and all that other nonsense and shit. Chariots and bells all that kind of stuff. Oh, yes, and, yes. Uh, there's, they, have, there's they get back to published, published translations from the International Society of Krishna uh, Consciousness that describes planetary warfare specifically, and firing weapons with beams of light and traveling in spaceships. Right. Mm. And again, so, uh, the 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 characteristics of Hinduism uh, also invoke reincarnation. Right. Which uh, which again yes. uh, comes comes. So it's it's. Like you said, uh, Hinduism does sort of follow a bit more to the uncorrupted version of the Brotherhood, uh, but it still has elements from the uh, corrupted version uh, as well within there. Um, but, but the, but the, the Ari- ideas the of reincarnation imposed, uh, as according to Bramley, they imposed the, right. the caste system. Yes, they invaded yeah, the area. They, which they basically uh, like like the era influence corrupted uh, Hinduism. Indigenous where there was um, elements of spiritual liberation and strict adherence to doctrine. Right. And right. so, so Bramley incorporating said those ideas sort of brought that, them uh, closer to the uncorrupted original tenets of the you Brotherhood. You can't fucking you know get spiritual enlightenment when you have strict adherence to doctrine or whatever. But the corrupting uh, influence of the Aryans is what introduced the the caste system that I tried to mention earlier and I fucking got it confused. Uh, But to this specific society uh, as where it developed in that if you were born in the lowest of the low caste system or whatever, that's, that's like you had to, you were forced to accept uh, your your role in in life, and um, <clears throat> they use that as a way to control them, uh, or rather the elites. The is it the Brahmas? I think were the yes, elite the class, priests, yeah. the, the the highest the class, top, highest caste. Yeah. Uh, they use this as a form of control to subjugate everyone else under them. Uh, in that the only uh, if you want. Um, the highest caste, uh, the Brahmas, were the ones that had attained um, near perfection or whatever. Like they had it separated into a system of uh, of uh, nirvana in that uh, the people at the top were the ones closest to uh, spiritual oneness, uh, to uh, purity, to... Um, uh, what was it? The idea of 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 being connected to everything, um, and it was the obligation of anyone of everyone else uh, to to reach that. Like that was the that was the the point of of uh, of existence to to become to become to reach perfection, uh, and the only way you could do that. Uh, was to be, was to die and be reborn again and hope that you got lucky and were born into a higher uh, a higher class 
Yeah. Uh, if you weren't, it's because you did something in life that uh, made you unworthy. And so you had to keep doing it again, keep doing it again until finally you became one of the Brahmas. And then they were the the chosen few or whatever that would obtain uh, uh, basically godliness or whatever. But in 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 the idea of spiritual uh, uh, perfection, it was to be the not, the not Buddhist version of Nirvana. No, yeah, that's, right. that's that's exactly yeah. what it is, dude. That's exactly what it is. And so again, like it it jumps around where like they take elements of the original uncorrupted brotherhood and sort of they they get sort of muddied a bit by uh the materialism of the 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 i guess the original aryan uh, uh belief system they get away from some of them like like i just specifically mentioned that materialism that's something they that they get away from or try to i think but there's i forgot what they mentioned in here specifically about how they actually get it backwards that mm. the idea of of perfection is associated to uh, to the accomplishments uh, or to the the way you you carry yourself within life that will um, that will carry you on to a higher stage of of, of existence or, or rather a closeness. Uh, bring you bring you closer to nirvana um but i believe the original beliefs of the brotherhood were that uh it had nothing to do with what you did in life and everything to do with how you um thought of yourself of how you uh i could be i could be fucking it up here i'm having a bit of difficulty with it because you are uh, yeah so <laughs> Again, like they were trying to get away, the, the original intent was away from the ideas of what you did and closer to the ideas of, of uh, how you thought. Uh, but I mean, I uh, a say. lot of it had to do with the fact that like um, it, it evokes explain. like suffering yeah. is a good thing. You right. know, so that also restricts their yes. uh, so spiritual that, recovery. So that's the, that is the corruption. And yeah. the original ideas were like, like, no, actually it's bad. You don't want that. Why yeah. do you need that? Like... It's the, the the idea of of perfection is 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 well, peaceful. That's slipping a bit into chapter ten. Yeah, which we'll Sorry. get into in just a second here. Um, the one symbolism that uh, Bramley brings up is the swastika. Uh, sure. I guess regarding the the Aryans that came through, um, yeah, but right. the swastika well, itself doesn't wasn't necessarily a symbol as we know it now regarding like a Nazi. As we uh, in America know it now, as we America it's know very, it, it's still or a very prevalent in Germany, symbol. I guess, within, right? I mean, they would know yes, it exactly. Yes, yes, figure too. It's all over here in, too. Yeah. In in Asian culture, it's still very prevalent and widely accepted as a symbol, uh, disconnected from. It, from it, the it's, Nazis. A, it's a symbol of good luck and good fortune. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's still and what very I find used. fascinating. Is that okay? Once again, new world uh, or ignoring the new world. But this was inconvenient because uh, I'm not sure when it came about or whatever or how it was introduced, but I think it was the Iroquois also, like, rocked the swastika as a symbol of good luck or whatever. Da, 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 da. Um, but there was some native group here in the States that used that shit as well. Um, and despite all the stuff we know about the swastika and all, it's not nasty shit. Um, 
Bramley goes on to talk about uh, how there's some researcher that said that, oh, well, the shape of the Big Dipper and Little Dipper is kind of like a swastika or whatever. So Bramley goes on to say, um, because of the swastika's frequent association with custodian gods, it may have begun as a simple representing the home civilization of Earth's custodial masters somewhere within the Big or Little Dipper. Um, <laughs> and that's just funny, man. It's like <laughs> trying to figure out where the Nordics are, the, the fucking reptilians came from, the Draco constellation or whatever the fuck, you know. The most important part of this chapter, I guess, is the lead into oh. the next chapter we're going to talk so, about. Um, um, I found the section that I was talking about, sorry, uh, that explained no, the the ideas of, of reincarnation and how, like, th it was a sort of a corrupted version of the original Brotherhood um, ideas of, 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 of death and rebirth. Uh, if you don't mind, I want to check it out or just sort of go through it here. I mean, it starts in 99 and 100, but, like, this one paragraph uh, sort of goes through it. Um, uh, and like I'm, I'm not gonna like this. This whole section actually talks about just how you were, you were mentioning before, Ray. How the, like the castes were uh, created and designed as a rigid feudalistic uh, social order that they used, uh, you know, just to sort of control everyone. But um, so Hindu reincarnation beliefs accomplished two other uh, custodial custodial aims. Uh, Hinduism stressed that obedience was a principal ingredient bringing about advancement to the neat uh, to the next caste. Excuse me. At the same time, Aryan beliefs discouraged uh, people from making pragmatic attempts at spiritual recovery. The myth of spiritual evolution through a caste system hid the reality that spiritual recovery most probably comes about in the same way uh, that nearly all personal improvement occurs, through personal conscious effort, not through the uh, machinations of a fictitious cosmic ladder. So that's that's what I was trying to sort of get through. It wasn't in that like your outward uh, uh, examples and 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 uh, efforts within life mattered so much as like the personal development that you were supposed to uh, undergo yourself to bring you closer to the original ideas of the brotherhood uh, um, um, idea of, of of nirvana or whatever. So okay. yeah, that was that was just my garbage. If we're gonna lead on to the next chapter. Uh, the, the fact that the Hinduism was kind of um, taken from the title of the next chapter, a, a maverick religion, being something that kind of uh, went away from the, the overall controlling aspect that the custodial gods had on human beings into more right. of an individualistic kind of like spiritual enlightenment kind of situation. Um, I want right. to read the last uh, bit here. It's not the whole uh, paragraph, <clears throat> but um, it is just a bit of it. It says, maverick religions are those which have been broken from custodial dogma and have attempted a practical or scientific approach to a spiritual salvation. Although no maverick religion in the past brought about wide-scale spiritual recovery, they nonetheless kept the hope alive <laughs> while perhaps pointing out a few steps needed to get there. So yeah. we're going to move on to the maverick Sucker's religions game. here. Chapter 10, Chapter right? 10 right? The maverick, the maverick religions. religions. Okay, so uh, Bramley brings up uh, six systems of salvation, and he says that there were similarities to 
Buddhism? Oh, sorry. He invokes Buddhism once, um, initially, because like the perhaps the most significant of the six systems, because of it's similar to Buddhism, was the system known as Samkhya. Samkhya, yeah. Sure. The reason system. Reason. There were do- the doctrines attributed to a man named uh, Kapila, uh, origin unknown. Yeah. But they said like. Maybe around like 550 BC that he was fucking around. Right, so right, like yeah. when when did Buddha do his shit? I know it's brought up, but I just don't remember like the disconnect in years for that. And uh, according to uh, Semka, uh, he teaches that a person is uh, that each person is such a soul, and that every soul has participated in the creation and or per- perpetuation of the primary elements which constitute the material universe. And that souls then created the senses with which they perceived those elements, and people therefore had only themselves, not a god or supreme being, to applaud mm. or blame, depending so Buddha- on one's perspective. Uh, Buddhism, uh, to answer your question, uh, Daniel here said it was established in the year 525 BC uh, by a Indian prince, uh, Gautama Siddhartha. So, pretty close to when. Capilla or whatever should have been doing his shit. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, an author, Sir Charles Eliot, describes the Semka belief this way. It says, suffering is the result of the soul's being in bondage to matter. But this bondage mm-hmm. does not affect the nature of the soul and in one sense is not real. For when souls acquire discriminating knowledge and see that the, they are not matter, then the bondage ceases and they attain eternal peace. Right. So it was, again, ideas going back to the original beliefs of the Brotherhood and away from uh, the custodial uh, forms of uh, subjugation. But then here at one point, it's a footnote, but then it's like, Bramley, aren't you helping the (laughs) gods of Eden here? Um, So up above, he's like quoting some other people, like, uh, souls are infinite in number, and consists of pure intelligence. Each soul is independent, indivisible, unconditioned, incapable of change, immortal. It appears, however, to be bound in matter. Footnote. Common sense tells us that there would be a limit to how many souls existed. Infinite may mean a number so large as to not be counted. Like... Doesn't that whole, like, disagree with the whole idea of, like, we're part of infinite mass, we perpetuate the inf- universe, da 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 Like, wouldn't it be just boundless? You think that's maybe, like, just uh, the human brain uh, not being able to um, comprehend what infinity means? But then he's, like, talking about how, like, humanity's dominated by fucking aliens, <laughs> like, that's fantastic as well. So it's like, I just don't know why he's, like, shitting on the idea of, like, some earlier writer talking about, like, infinite souls or infinite existence when he's trying to argue that same point. It's just, it's fucking funny, man. Uh, and and mm. next he does bring up, he starts talking about uh, the f- building blocks of uh, matter, which are atoms, and what makes a type of atom different from another. Uh yeah, uh, physical matter and, uh, as far as yeah. Solid. He goes on to like like two and a half pages of talking about like you know oh yeah, so and he brings up like two like and he spends like almost 
a page and a half talking about like examples of like, oh, well, if you took a atom of 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 this and you made the nucleus size of a marble, then the closest neutron would be like eight thousand miles away. You know, it, and it's all adorable or whatever. But then it's like. <laughs> It just reminds me of this meme where it's like, okay, since atoms are mostly made of empty space and technically like atoms do not touch other atoms, you have technically never touched anything in your life. Yeah. <laughs> and you're right, you haven't on the atomic. There's a whole scale, thing like and, and that fucking like there's this one dickhead philosopher, like the whole arrow guy, where it's like, okay, so you fire your arrow, the it crosses half of a certain space. Then that then it crosses half of a certain space. So like travels it's just a foot, cherry picking your travels six inches, travels three inches, travels that, but it actually never hits its target theoretically because atoms don't touch. Yes, <laughs> yes, theoretically, but what about molecularly or yeah? Actually, what about me cutting Roland with a knife because he interrupts all the time? <laughs> I'd say I connected atomically. Your knife would pass right through me because it's made of shit, and you shouldn't have bought that crap on Bud K, you douche. But physically, I'd be fucked. Um, so, I got yes. it at the mall, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> From a guy with frosted tips. <laughs> well, that's where the quality is. It's in the frost. Um, um, uh, one of the last things I want to do here is uh, compare hmm. the custodial I, and maverick religions. Basically, we're going to just read um, off the chart all words. here. So yeah. um, which, um, if I could go before you go that uh, route, though. Yes, like, please go ahead. There's a, right before the uh, those examples, it talks exactly about like the original form of uh, the, the Buddhist description of nirvana and the, I guess, what ended up becoming a corrupted form. Um, right. And, and that is to say... He calls it, he calls uh, it like a decay. Yes, decay right. of the definition of nirvana. The word nirvana uh, originally referred to that state of existence in which the spirit has achieved full awareness of itself as a spiritual being and no longer experiences suffering due to misidentification with the material universe. Uh, and again, that's this is these are ideas all referring to the original concepts or uh, idea um, theories of. And the, he does mention the that nirvana is. Almost like a nothingness or the void. Right. So that is when it becomes decayed, right. uh, uh, corrupted. Nirvana is the state stern for uh, by every Buddhist. Nirvana has also been translated as nothingness or the void. Uh, horrible sounding concepts uh, which have be uh, come to imply to many today that nirvana is a state of non-existence or that it involves a loss of contact with the physical universe. Well, technically, no so does I not exist ask, anymore because like, Kurt Cobain What did Kurt Cobain mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, yeah. So what I it was, we're going to bring up Kurt Cobain at some point, yeah. Oh, yeah. God damn it. <laughs> oh, fuck off. Eat, eat ass and die. Look, so again, he goes right after following that, that the, the original map was to achieve the opposite. Nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't even go that way. Because Kurt Cobain himself had like been quoted saying, "Look, guys, my words don't mean shit. Like, why are you taking all this stuff so seriously? Fuck off." Yeah, it's nothing. Like he just right. fucked Nirvana. around. He's just full Nirvana, of shit himself, bud. and he just enjoyed it, and that's fine. Yep. That's cool. It's nothing. Fuck Nirvana. the rest of yep. that. Um, Pumwa. Buddha's uh, true state of Nirvana included a stronger sense of existence, increased self identity, and an ability to more accurately perceive the physical universe. And. Uh, so basically, Br Bramley uh, gives uh, 
<clears throat> comparisons between a custodial religion and maverick religion. So the common person can kind of differentiate between which they right. are following. Or so hopefully to, they like can they avoid have. the custodial religion and right. immerse themselves in the maverick religion. The, but the, the just, mythology uh, of... of the, the mythology of the oppressed and the mythology of the free uh, freeman. So um, I know we want to go through them, but I think the first one I bring up is the uh, difference between the uh, custodial religions and maverick religions would be custodial dudes are all about adherence to doctrine. Right. Based on faith or obedience alone. Subservience. And that shit is stressed. <laughs> yep. As far as the Mavericks, though, observation and reason are held to be proper foundations for adhering to a doctrine. Like, <laughs> holy shit. And it's fucking crazy to think about, like, all right. So, like, say, like, Christianity is very much a custodial religion. Mm -hmm. with Hinduism. And it's compared to those fucking, like, just those two statements alone observation versus strict adherence it's like yeah fuck dude like <laughs> independence versus uh the emphasizing loyalty above all else it's I like mean, you could also trusting my table is going to hold up my monitor or believing it is i mean you could yeah. you could uh like magic you could you could say that like cults <laughs> are pretty much like the lowest form of a custodial religion of like sure. a human being, uh, sure, adhering uh, themselves they, to like uh, they emphasize obedience. Yeah, but they um, want. They well, want I'm really happy being a part of the sisterhood of the traveling pants. Oh, <laughs> fuck off! Fuck off! Low hanging fruit. Get out of here. Okay, so um, I'm gonna read the custodial religion and uh, Dork. Roland. I don't know, or Daniel. You want to read the Maverick religion? Uh, um, but we'll go I'll, side I'll, by okay. side, I'll, or we can kind of mix and match, whatever. Where are you, where are you starting on the on first the very one? Very first or? one, custodial religion. Okay. So custodial religion, a source or inspiration of teachings is said to be a god, angel, or supernatural force, not a human being. Uh, the Maverick religion states that the source or inspiration of teachings is said to be an identifiable human being. Point number two. Belief in a single supreme being or God is a principal cornerstone of faith. In earlier times, worship of many humanly gods. Uh, the Maverick religion states that belief in a supreme being is usually tolerated, but is a minor or non-existent part of doctrine. Emphasis is placed on the role of the individual spiritual being in relation to the universe. Uh, custodial religion, uh, point number three. Physical immortality is an important and desired goal in many custodial religions. Um, go ahead, Daniel. Yeah, I got this, I think. Uh, <laughs> spiritual freedom and immortality are sought. Endless existence in the same physical body is deemed unimportant or undesirable. Uh, the custodial religion... Uh, describes adherence to doctrine based upon faith or obedience alone is stressed. Um, observation, oh, this is the Maverick religion. Observation yes. and reason are held to be the proper foundations for adhering to the doctrine. Back to the alien side of the Casoli religion. <laughs> <laughs> Point number five. Um, severe or fatal physical punishment are sometimes employed or advocated during the religion's history in 
deal with uh, non-believers or to deal with non-believers and backsliders. I heard the that. The Maverick religion states the physical punishments or duress are very mild to non-existent. Severest punishment is usually formal exclusion of an individual for, uh, from the uh, religious organization. You're banished. <laughs> That's right. Uh, custodial religion, point number six. Uh, belief that being born in a human body either once or many times through reincarnation is a part of a broad spiritual plan which will ultimately benefit every human being. And those Maverick rebels say that belief that there is no hidden spiritual purpose to human existence and that the process of death amnesia rebirth causes spiritual decay. Uh, the next point to the custodial uh, is that belief that there are higher forces, gods, or supernatural entities which control people's individual or collective fates. Human beings have no control over those forces and can only yield to them. Uh, Maverick religion, uh, at point number seven, belief that all people are ultimately responsible for having created their own conditions in life, good and bad, by their own actions and inactions, and that all people can ultimately control their own destinies. Point number nine, belief that only one supreme being alone created the physical universe. Sorry, that was point eight, dude. Yeah, but point anyways. eight. Anyways. Um, uh, Maverick, Maverick religion point Fuck eight you, is the I can't count. I study belief, social science. It's fine, it's fine. <laughs> uh, belief that everyone has something to do with the creation and or perpetuation of the physical universe. Uh, Custodial religion point number nine. Human suffering, toil, and enslavement are a part of a broader spiritual plan which will ultimately lead to the salvation and freedom for those who obediently endure it. Maverick religions, human suffering, toil, and enslavement are social ills that have no constructive purpose and stand in the way of spiritual salvation and freedom. And the custodial uh, number 10, uh, the spiritual recovery and salvation depend entirely upon the grace of God or other supernatural entity. And Maverick religion... Point number 10, spiritual recovery and salvation are entirely up to the individual to achieve through his or her own self-motivated efforts. So again, like a lot of the Maverick ideas are much closer to what the Brotherhood of the Snake was originally trying to uh, uh, to achieve. Yeah, and actually, like, I'm waiting for a book to come out where it just talks about the purported uh, brother of the snake where it talks about the subversive elements in there because you know these ideas of that are non-custodial keep popping up throughout history and it's like you know where's the little rogue that's doing that you know where where are the as through time maybe maybe they um enslave them or uh um, put them in a so-called prison. That way they couldn't um, go off. And well, maybe that's the, the quote-unquote return for the, the person or the, the snake in the Garden of Eden or um, the return later on for salvation. Like he's supposed to come back and give everyone a spiritual enlightenment and like get rid of the enslavement of people. Because technically that's what like uh, even the book of Revelation is about, like them right. uh, coming back to... Uh, re release people from the chains of Satan and stuff like that, which 
And get to the good times. Yeah. A good thousand years of partying. Um, one of the last things he does mention is the um, a promise says, although Buddhism did not free hu- the human race, it left the hope that freedom would one day come. According to Buddhist legend, uh, Gautama, Gautama knew that he had not accomplished his goal of creating a religion that would bring about full spiritual liberation for all mankind. He therefore promised that a sacred Buddha or enlightened one would arrive later in history to complete the task. And this constitutes the the famous Mateya, the friend prophecy, which has become a very important element in the modern Buddhist faith. Because Buddhism did not originally express a belief in a supreme being, the Mateya legend did not suggest a messenger or a teacher from God. Mateya would simply be an individual with whom knowledge or with the knowledge and ability to get the job done. Yeah. And I don't understand that really like, uh, because the idea of the Matea sounds very mavericky. It does. I mean, I mean, I, like I just mentioned earlier, the, the return of, uh, Jesus, the rapture, the, all no, that sure. Stuff. Yeah, but the thing is, um, well, okay, no. So chapter, the second coming is one like, thing, Ray, but like they do mention here that the rapture, or, or rather the ideas of the apocalypse, is something that the uh, uh, the, the Buddhism decayed into. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm just the curious final battle, if Armageddon, the Day of Judgment idea that was uh, kind of seated early of the Matea, um, was the start of. You know, kind of the doomsday stuff that we'll get into this next episode. This next episode, um, and so I'm just curious if the idea that was uh, kind of seeded early of the Matea was the start of, you know, kind of the doomsday stuff that we'll get into this. It next seems epi- it this seems next that episode. way um, um, as it decayed uh, with the rest of Buddhism. Uh, it was slowly absorbed into a destructive doctrine spread by the Brotherhood sources in the Middle East. Uh, and, yeah, so the end of the world teachings have a catastrophic effect on human society. It is therefore of paramount importance to understand more about where and why those teachings began. Is <laughs> Yeah. And we'll get into Chapter 11 on the next episode called the doom prophets <laughs> now that sounds fucking yeah. metal let's be realistic here it's it's a good band title for yeah, sure we're, we're gonna get into the metal part of this book right now or like <laughs> next episode <laughs> yeah let's do it now guys fuck it yeah. <laughs> no prep um, let's get into it we're gonna remember fucking do it yeah we'll we'll just, you ever read it get after it well we'll read it live on uh <laughs> on this yeah. podcast <laughs> Be like the rest of the assholes, yeah, that like everyone else that on, on YouTube who does it, right? Man, fuck those guys, man. Lazy. All right, um, that's the end of uh, part two. first. I guess the first part. I mean, however long this is going to be, I <laughs> yeah. might, I might break this fucker up into two episodes. For all I know, you might because I was thinking about. It, I was like, I was like, dude, all right, even edited it down. Three. We're talking like four this hours. Is, yeah. <laughs> this is three and a half. Like, oh fuck. yeah, I, I have it here, Roland. We're at three twenty-five just on this alone. But I mean. I'm going to say that's 20 minutes of like dead air <laughs> bullshit and yeah, then yeah. everything oh, else. So. Ooh, <laughs> ooh yeah, scary. Minutes. Um, all right. So that'll bring this episode to a close. <laughs> I'll edit everything else as need be. My name is Ray. So you say. Uh, this is uh, Roland. <laughs> and Pacific Northwest. This is Dark Wing Drunk. Okay. Um, 10 chapters. This is a long 
10 chapters, man. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, all right. I did not anticipate this. No. We'll see you next <laughs> see time. See you next time. See you, dudes. Blue midgets coming to my house. Hey, it's ridiculous. I had some kind of a rectal probe. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Ridiculous.